Hey, welcome to the 191st episode of the Random Podcast from Heck. My name is Tony, and this is a podcast about random things in the world of entertainment, which includes movies, TV shows, and comic books. Big shout out to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gmanfromheck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. And if you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. We are currently in the midst, uh, in the second half of The Vision and the Scarlet Witch 12-issue miniseries from 1985. So you can hear about how things go, like all the crazy shenanigans, uh, uh, Mardi Gras stuff, vision going wild, sort of, maybe. So you can hear all about that and more. And sometimes talk about movies. I'm going to be talking about some movies soon when I'm done with this. But if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gmanfromheck. And you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or four. That is ko-fi.com slash gmanfromheck. All right, this week, there is a lot. There's like almost too much. I'm, I'm a little nervous about this, but we'll, we'll see. We'll get through it. And uh, hopefully you're okay with the maybe longer episode. We'll see if I can keep myself concise as I just ramble on and on here. So the big feature, the movie feature this week is going to be Mortal, Mortal Kombat. So the, the Warner Brothers movie that is in theaters and HBO Max. So you can watch that if you have HBO Max. And uh, we're talking about the, the Falcon and Winter Soldier finale. Uh, the, the last four episodes or whatever of them. So that was was heavy stuff. Uh, the Nevers, Invincible, uh, Bird Girl. Talk about those. I almost didn't talk about Bird Girl this week just because there's so much stuff. But I, I it's going to be a little, little short. There's not a whole lot to say about it. But there's a couple new shows. One show on HBO Max is Mayor of Easttown. So that's with Kate Winslet. It's a. It, I'm I'm definitely interested in the show. It's not jam packed, super exciting, you know, whatever. But there's definitely a story going on and, and a mystery, or it's like a, a crime. So you know, you'll hear more about that. But I don't know if I'm going to keep talking about that every week. It's a mini series show. I think there's only six or seven episodes, so we'll see. And then there's another show that was on Freeform, and then it airs on Hulu the next day called Cruel Summer. And being totally honest, the only reason I watch it is because Olivia Holt uh, from Cloak and Dagger. She was in it. And uh, I'm actually kind of, I'm very intrigued. I'm hooked on the show. There's some, some, some neat storytelling devices or whatever, how they, they approached the story. And uh, there's like some twists and turns and stuff like that. So you'll hear about that. So there's a lot, lot going on here. I, I think that's everything. Plus comics and news. So let's just get to the news. Um, big news. Big thing that was, I thought, well, not that big, but was exciting. Is there's a new MODOK trailer. So we have less than a month now until MODOK airs on Hulu. I'm a little, I wish Hulu didn't drop all episodes at once. Because I would love to talk about it week by week. But instead, everything is going to drop at once. And maybe I'll, I'll probably do like half one week and half the following week, which I always feel bad when it's like the second week or the third week. But we'll, we'll have that. So um, there's some there's some cameos in there, which is exciting because obviously it's not in a cinema. Obviously, it's not in a cinematic universe. But you see like Wonder Man's in there and Iron Man. So it, it just it looks wacky and silly. And you know it looks like Robot Chicken and it. I cannot wait for that. I love MODOK, so I'm really excited for that. Uh, there is also a, tra- a teaser trailer for Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings. 
I, I should probably have watched it a second time. I'm really unsure. It looks good. It looks very slick, good fighting and stuff like that. But it does not feel like a Marvel movie. And maybe that's a good thing. You know, it doesn't have to cut, fall into that cookie cutter, whatever, you know, process. And, you know, we are seeing some different things with the, you know, WandaVision is different. Um, well, I guess Falcon and Winter Soldier, it's, it feels a little more cinematic. But, you know, we, we could have some different things. It just, it would have been, not, I don't know, I guess maybe wishful thinking is like, what if we could have had like Iron Fist or, Col- you know, what the heck is going on with Colleen Wing? after you know the end of of iron fist season two or what is iron fist doing now and it would have been some or what if you throw in the hand or you know and i know it doesn't have to all be connected just because there's some martial arts involved you know you don't have to throw them all together but it would have been nice to acknowledge what had already been shown and you know make that connection why not build on that you know fan base and and add to it but then Maybe there are still some rights issues. I don't know, because Kevin Feige said something that it's not as clear-cut as people seem to think. So maybe they don't 100% have the rights back. Or maybe trying to throw get a TV person into a movie is different. Even though they did it with Clark Gregg. But that could be just like... Oh, that he did. They, you know, they had some a couple other movie people in a TV show. But maybe the opposite is different. Yeah, I don't think we... We haven't seen... I could be wrong. Maybe I'm just blanking, but I don't think we've had any TV people on the big screen. Like, yeah, none of the Netflix uh, characters have. But, but oh, man, so I don't. know. It's really hard, hard to say. And then you know, there is some of like the the forced jokes. You know, Aquafina, whatever. You know, we'll, we'll see. So, I mean, I'm definitely gonna watch it, but I can't say I'm super excited for it. But prove me wrong. You know, and I'm not saying they have to prove me wrong, but you know, it's not like it's all about me. But I'm, I'm just, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. And then uh, some stuff about, uh, so they, they're talking about like Loki, and right away there's so Loki comes out on June 11th. So that we have to wait until that long until June for our next Disney Plus Marvel TV show. But they're saying that uh, Loki could could potentially be more than one season. You know, there's plenty of stories to tell. And they said, you know, Tom Hiddleston's been like, he's been at his best here. You know, he's doing great and stuff like that. Um, what about Falcon and Winter Soldier? Maybe, but there's some some other news. I, I'll get to that in just a second. So um, we'll see if we get more Falcon and Winter Soldier, whatever. Uh, other news, um, Disney and Sony, they've worked out a deal for the Spider-Man movies to stream on Disney+. Plus Because last week, it was mentioned that Sony and Netflix have a deal. So like the, all the Sony movies will be streaming exclusively on Netflix. But I'm a little confused about this because apparently... This maybe that deal is just until 2022, but that's just next year. No, I think between 2022, maybe in 2026, they'll be on Netflix, but then after 2026, which that sounds like it's so far from now, but then maybe th- then they'll go to Disney Plus and Hulu as well. And by Spider Man movies, I think that includes like Venom and Morbius or whatever other movies that come out. We'll, we'll see. I don't know. Uh, Jeremy Renner said that they finished filming Hawkeye. And one of the things that he said, he said, this isn't goodbye, but a see you soon. So he's not done with it. Because, you know, a lot of people are speculating, well, maybe with uh, 
uh, Kate Bishop appearing that, you know, this is going to be a passing of the baton and, and everything like that, which they could potentially do, you know, since he has a family and everything, you know, maybe he's going to retire, but maybe he's just not, doesn't have it in him to retire just yet. So that, that'd be fine. You know, I would like to see more, more Hawkeye and everything. And I'm, I'm excited for that show as well. Amelia Clark. She is apparently in negotiations for Secret Invasion. <laughs> yeah, so she's in negotiation for Secret Invasion. As what? As who? No idea. Uh, same thing with Olivia Coleman. She's in negotiations, I guess, to appear in that. So that'll be interesting to see. No idea. I don't even want to speculate. Is Queen Veronica, Veronica going to be in there? You know, is, I don't even know if they're going to... How, how close to... The comic Secret Invasion is it going to be? Don't know. Uh, some s- kind of spoilers. So there's there's a couple things. So I don't know um, if you're concerned at all. So Russell Crowe, he spoiled something. So, you know, he's going to be in Thor Love and Thunder, which is coming out in February 11th, 2022. And the, the big thing is like, who's he playing? We don't know. But he spoiled it. So I don't know if you want to avoid this for the next... 30 seconds a minute or whatever, but he, cause he, uh, I, another outlet which uses initials or whatever for their name, they, in their tweet, they're like, Russell Crowe is blank, told whatever, Nostra he's playing blank. It's like, okay, some people, just because it's out there doesn't mean everyone knows about it. You know, some people are avoiding spoilers. Just like now, I'm so hesitant to say it, even though it was, you know, spoiled days ago, especially by the time you listen to this. So here we go. You're a spoiler. So cover your ears or take out your headphones or whatever. He is going to be playing Zeus in Thor Love and Thunder. So he just mentioned it on a radio station in Australia. And it's like, yeah, I'm, you know, and Marvel's probably like, what are you doing? <laughs> so he must not got the memo that you don't talk about, you know, secrets in that. So that uh, that kind of makes like hmm okay that's what's going to happen here, and w- maybe it has something to do with Christian Bale's character. So we'll we'll see what what that means. And then another spoiler. <laughs> to, I'm going to keep these spoilers. These should be the only kind of spoilers. But Alfred Molina said something because he's supposed to be in Spider-Man No Way Home. What 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 what's he doing? Whatever. So these are some some bigger spoilers, and uh, he did an, an interview with Variety, and here you go, we ready. He confirmed that he's playing Doc Ock, which is what we all kind of figured. But they could have like tried to trick us, you know, do something else, like with the uh, you know Pietro. But he so basically in uh, Spider-Man Two, he drowned. It seems that No Way Home is going to pick up his story right after that moment that he he died so somehow he didn't die or somehow he moved you know going to another multiverse dimension i don't know so we have all so that's that's kind of interesting but yeah no idea what that means exciting uh the flash movie is like is it just called a flash i thought it was flashpoint but they unleashed <laughs> unleashed un- unveiled the logo so it's just the flash and the music sounded very much like like the the tv flash i was like okay and um i'm not too excited about that i i think michael keaton's finally been confirmed because you know just a few weeks ago he like he said he hadn't even read the script yet and you know his concern was you know how safe was it going to be you know they're gonna have covid you know protocols or whatever in place and 
So, but maybe he's he's on board now. So we'll have to see about that. Um, and then uh, I'm going to jump to some comic news for a bit. So just there's going to be a Justice League Infinity comic. This is going to be picking up. It's a digital first comic. It's supposed to be continuing from the Justice League Unlimited animated series. So it's going to be digital first on May 13th. And then it's going to go to print July 6th. It's written by James Tucker, who was a producer and the character designer for the show. And it's also going to be uh, co-written by J.M. DeMatteis, who, as you know, has written a bunch of stuff. He was also uh, worked on like a, a handful of more than a handful of show of the episodes of the show. So um, I think I think it said it was going to be seven issues. So that that's great. If only we can get more animated episodes. You know, let, let's make that happen. So that that's that's exciting. And then there's uh, some Tom Taylor news. He's going to be writing Superman, Son of Kal-El. So Tom Taylor and John Timms. I love John Timms' art, and he's a super cool guy. I was going to say I love John Timms, but I, I don't know him that well. I, I, I really admire him as a person and as an artist. So I'm excited for that. I guess Clark is going to be busy liberating people on War World, so he's leaving Earth. So he's going to leave Earth in the hands of Jonathan Kent. So it's like, I mean, because it, it kind of felt like lately they're like they're they're kind of pushing, they're setting up for Kal-El to or Superman to die. That's what it felt like. But maybe he's just going to be leaving Earth. And it's interesting because in one of the Future State books, we see that where he was gone. So it's like some of those Future State books, futures are coming true. But we'll see. I, I mean, I'm excited to see what Tom Taylor and John Timms have planned. But I still wish Jonathan was was younger. And, you know, we had more Super Sons. That, that's, that's too bad. Uh, there's going to be some prequel comics. DC's, uh, they're going to do like a He-Man prequel uh, from the Netflix show. They also, I didn't, um, I didn't get a uh, press release on this, which kind of annoyed me a little bit. Uh, the Hollywood Reporter apparently got the, the news or the exclusive. And I don't always read the Hollywood Reporter all the time. And, I mean, I don't normally think it's like, where, what's happening in the world of comics? Hey, let's go to the Hollywood Reporter. I mean, Hollywood Reporter, I usually go there to check for, like, movie or TV news. There's going to be, DC's going to have a new horror imprint. I can't tell you what it is because uh, I forgot to look it up because, like I said, I didn't get an email. Uh, and one of the things that they're going to be doing is a prequel for The Conjuring because The Conjuring 3, there's going to be, The Devil Made Me Do It. That's what it's called, right? There's a new trailer came out for that, and I'm, I'm I love those movies, so I'm excited for that. But there's gonna be a comic prequel. I'm a little, I be honest, I'm a little hesitant. I I hope it's awesome, but I'm thinking to like the the Raised by Wolves uh, prequel comic. It was, eh. and then uh, sometimes it it just seems like with these TV movie tie-in comics that I hate to say it, but they don't always bring their their A-list creators to it. And sometimes it feels like they're just like promotional things for people who don't normally read comics all that often. So they might be like, oh, this is interesting, you know, read a little more. But then people who actually read comics is like, what, what is this? So I, I, I hope I'm wrong with that because it, it would be great to see that. And I, I would love to read a good horror comic, and I'm excited to see if we get more. Because, I mean, DC's been doing some good stuff. Like Basketful Heads, the Joe Hill comic, I, I really enjoyed that. 
and I'm sure there's other stuff that I'm just not thinking right now. That Dow House book, I don't think I finished reading that. I, I think I forgot to pick it up or the other issues, but I was enjoying that. That was kind of freaky. So, and then, you know, we have other cool things uh, from other people. So we'll see. Maybe James tying into fourth, you know, some, something's killing children. That's been good. If you want to, I guess you can call that like horror ish. That's good. But that's Boom Studios. So, but maybe he's got something else that he, he'll want to do there. Anyways, uh, the last bit of news that I've been kind of saving is uh, Captain America 4 is apparently in the works. A movie, the- theatrical movie, big movie. And it's going to be with uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier showrunner Malcolm Spellman. He's going to be co-writing the script with, uh, I forget the, the guy's name. He's, he's one of the staff writers for Falcon and Winter Soldier. What does this mean? I can't. It'll, it makes sense if you watched Falcon and Winter Soldier, I guess. So it's not. It's most likely pretty sure it's not going to be Chris Evans in any way. Uh, that hasn't been confirmed at all. But it's most likely going to be picking up after the show. So if you watch the show, you might have some ideas as to what it might mean. But uh, and that's, that's interesting because it's almost like, you know, after watching the episode, the final episode, it's like, OK, season two, I'm ready. Let's go. But then instead of a season two, they're going to go to movie. It's 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 kind of a toss up because I, I love the long you know weekly episodes and you know because you could watch them all and it's like almost six hours of you know six hour movie but we'll see so so that that's cool um i'm i'm down for another captain america movie when is it going to come out though because their their release slate is like full since everything's been pushed back but we'll have to see and that is going to be the news for the week all right Comic books this week. So at Image, their uh, Monsters number 33 came out, uh, which I, I'm still not caught up. Old Guard, Tales Through the Time, issue one of six. So this is, uh, 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 this, this was good. This was fine. Not I was a little disappointed because it's it's not like a, a regular next phase mini, mini series, whatever. It's looking at random stories from the past. Now that's cool. You know, so we can see, other, I mean, since these characters, so if you've, if you've read the Old Guard comics or if you've seen the Netflix uh, movie with Charlie and Theron, uh, you, you know that these are like immortal warriors. So they've been, they've been alive for a long time. So it makes sense that they've had other adventures or whatever, you know, th- throughout the ages and stuff like that. So it could be cool to go back and look at some of these other stories. And also, based on uh, the solicit, there's going to be other writers involved. So, you know, Greg Rucka and I think um, Vita Ayala would work on this first issue. And anyways, but we're going to have like stories by Brian Michael Bendis, Kelly Sue DeConnick, Matt Fraction, David F. Walker in the coming months or in the coming issues. So that's cool because it lets us see other writers give us their their take on, on these characters. And it doesn't necessarily mess up like the the ongoing story, whatever. So, you know, it'd be a little different. So it's still Greg Rucka's story to tell his characters, but let um, these other great writers give their, you know, have their, their turn at a, at a story that took, that happened before and, and so forth. So that, that's all, all fine and good. And this one, it, it was, there was some interesting stuff. It didn't feel like earth shaking or earth breaking, ground shaking, ground breaking. You get what I'm saying. It was, it was a good issue. So if you've been 
wanting more of the old guard, you know, you, you can check that out. So, so that, that, that was good to see. I, I was happy to see like, you know, a new issue there. Uh, there's also radiant black issue three. So this is a book by Kyle Higgins and Marcelo Costa. So with the third issue, you know, we're, we're still trying to figure out, you know, who is this character or the characters trying to figure out, you know, who he is and what he's going to do with these powers and everything like that. The problem is, so, um, you know, Nathan is, is a main character. He, he needs to kind of get his act together because he, he, you know, he doesn't have a job and he's trying to, you know, write a book, but he's just struggling getting started. You know, he's major writer's block and, you know, he's looking at like some of his old stuff and trying to see if can, can he, so it was, it was really neat in that aspect, trying to think about, I, you know, I don't necessarily consider myself like a, a writer in that regards. I know what it's like when you're sitting there trying to write something, you know, me writing articles or editorials, you know, it's not quite the same as trying to write a, a novel, but I totally get it when you're sitting there and it's like, you're, you're trying to, where do I start? Or you have so many false starts, you start writing something and you're like, this is crap. And then, you know, delete, 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 you know, backspace, whatever. So it, it was kind of cool to, to see all that where he's, he's trying to figure out, you know, what can he do? Where can he go, you know, to, to write a great story? Cause that's the thing. You don't just want to write, you know, a piece of crap. You're, you're not writing just to write. You're trying to write something really, I mean, sometimes you write just to write. You get what I'm saying. But then his, his buddy decides, he's like, hey, you need to be on social media. You know, we need to get some attention and stuff like that. We need to come up with a name. So they, they kind of come up with uh, Radiant Black as a name. And he kind of, uh, Nathan kind of questions that or whatever. And also, um, and then just, you know, going on, uh, you know, social media, trying to get attention to people or whatever. And so there is a, a little bit of action, but it's not like hardcore action, and because it's more about the character development. So I, that's I, I enjoyed that to to see like just different things going on there. So that was cool. Then there's a Stray Dogs issue three. So this is a the book that's like a cross between a Don Bluth animated uh, you know children's movie. So it's a story about a bunch of dogs, but there's a like some murder involved. You know, some adult uh, deadly stuff. Because basically what happens is this one dog gets her, her owner it, it gets killed and she gets brought to this house with a bunch of other dogs. And then she realizes or she's she's pretty sure this guy killed her, her lady. And then the other dogs are like, oh, no, no, you're crazy, whatever. And then there's like evidence that he may have done this before. So the dogs are trying to figure out and it's like, well, what can we do? And, you know, who can we tell? Because it's not like they can pick up the phone and. It gets it's starting to get a little tense, you know. There's some things going on, and uh, yeah, things don't go too well. For uh, actually, I shouldn't say anything more, but it's getting heavy, so you sh- you sh- it's it's worth checking out too. It's 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 pr- it's it's very it's neat because, like I said, you know, it, it looks like a Don Blue. It's very slick with the, the appearance, but then it has some dark themes. So that's just kind of like like woof. Then over at DC, there wasn't a whole lot of books here at DC. Um, Batman versus Rachel Ghoul. I realize I haven't been reading this, so this is a the Neil Adams book, and uh, I, I kind of, as I'm thinking about this now, I kind of want to go back and read it. But I, I think I'm trying to remember if I read the first issue. Maybe yeah, I think I did read the first issue, and it kind of threw me off a little bit. Just uh, the so like far out of continuity. It's like okay, wait, what's what's happening here and everything. But I'm, I don't know if it's just the mood I'm in now. I'm just like, I'm kind of like in a Neil, Neil Adams mood to, did I say Neil Adams before? 
I think I said Neil Adams. I hope I said Neil Adams. So uh, the sixth issue came out. Uh, I can't really speak on, on that and if it's any good or not because you know I haven't been reading it. But I, I think I may have to check those out. Then there is a book that probably everyone's been waiting for. Batman Fortnite Zero Point. With this no Fortnite code? Oh, I don't know what that means. If there's a code for some... Anyways... Yeah, I'm not the biggest Fortnite fan, and I, I, it seems like it seems like a lot of people. When I whenever I bring it up, especially like um, to like students in my class, there's just a lot of people that are like, like, oh no, no, that I don't like that. You know, it's like they're very anti Fortnite, and I'm not sure what it is if it's all the dances and you know how that became such a thing. So with this book, I'm just like Batman and Fortnite is like, come on, really? But it's written by Christos Gage, Christos Engage. And the art is by Riley Brown. And I love Riley Brown's art. Chris Crystal's Gage's writing is great. But Riley Brown's art, it's like, I I, I think it's, it's phenomenal. I, I love seeing every time he does like a commission, whatever, and posts it on, on Instagram and that. So, and he's been posting some, some like preview images, you know, panels and stuff like that. So I've been really curious, especially because he's, he's shown like Batman versus Snake Eyes. So I'm just like, wait, what the heck is going on? I think that's not going to happen until a third issue. So with this one, I was like, all right, I'll check it out. And it's inch, the execution is kind of interesting. And basically, there's like a, a, a portal rift that opens up and Batman ends up going through it. And he ends up going, I guess, the Fortnite world. But what's interesting when he gets there... One, he he kind of has some like memory issues. Like he doesn't know who he is. He still has like his muscle memories. You know, he can still fight and everything, but he doesn't know what what's going on, and he can't talk. So I, you know, in, in Fortnite, the characters don't talk. So I, I believe that's the reason why for that. So that that's that's kind of interesting. There's a couple other DC characters that have uh, cameos or guest appearances here, and then there's uh, Fortnite characters as well. So it's it's a weird concept but that's what makes it a little different so I, I think it could be interesting especially with what's coming out and you know i trust christos gage and you know i, I want to see riley brown's art so I'm, I'm gonna have to check out some more um catwoman issue 30 i just realized or no, i think i did kind of read yeah no i did kind of read this i'm still on the fence with this series you know i i don't know i'm i'm not I'm not loving it, you know, cat and just the whole thing, you know, Catwoman in Alley Town or wherever she's at, and you know, there's stuff going on, you know, with the with the Riddler, and you know, Riddler was, was like some tried killing him, and she's trying to get to the bottom, like who's making this drug, and it's someone using poison ivy, the manufacturer is this new drug and everything, and I don't know, and at one point they're like well you know maybe you need to call him you know call batman to get some help but she's like no we agreed you know a year apart whatever and let's just like okay whatever <laughs> flash 769 this has been interesting uh with this so basically wally west uh last issue uh, last issue he disappeared out of times there i think he was like all right, I'm going to retire. I'm going to quit. You know, I don't deserve the speed force or whatever. So take it away. But then something happens and he disappears. It's like, okay, what happened to Wally? And then he's in a, a caveman's body. He's like in prehistoric ages. And, you know, he's like in some other body and he's running around and, and stuff like that. And there's, I think a dinosaur accidentally 
gets some, some of the speed force and you know there causes some problems but then now he's in bart allen he's an impulse's body in the future and it's really weird looking because it's it's bart but i guess it's supposed to be like wally's body and i think that's for our benefit but it looks like you have this really big beefy impulse which you know impulse has always been you know smaller you know little scrawny you know, big hair so it's just really weird there and there's this other girl it's like who is this so i don't know if she's like this new and um anomaly uh, but she knows who you know she's she's friends with impulse and she knows who wally is and yeah you know, so I'm, I'm i'm curious where is, this is going on so i kind of like this the art is it, it doesn't feel quite right for the flash i don't know and I, I know I'm saying I don't know a lot, but it just something just didn't quite click, just didn't quite jive for me. But I'm curious where it's going to go. And then, as you can predict, what's going to happen? He's going to end up in another time period at the end because it, it there's something going on with the Speed Force, and and it's kind of like up to Wally to try to fix you know the the breaches or whatever. And how, how long is he going to have to do this? You know, there's only so many probably time or speedsters throughout time, so we'll see. And then there is a Justice League issue sixty, so this is continuing. I'm I'm I liked this one a little more than the last issue uh, fifty nine. I was just kind of like, okay, that that was fine. This one's a little better. You know, there's this threat coming in from a Naomi's world. So Naomi, the character that Brian Michael Bendis uh, created from the the book called Naomi. So they're trying to figure out who is this dude what's he want how can they stop him all that stuff like that so you know they're, they're talking to naomi trying to get some you know help information from her so, you know she doesn't have a whole lot to offer because you know she like just found out that she was from another dimension like two weeks ago or whatever and then there's still a fact uh, I'll, I'll we see a lot of the justice league are like why is black adam here you know they're they're kind of questioning that you know he's in the hall of justice with them and superman's kind of vouching he's like you know he's been he's been doing some good things lately and it's like you know there's been a lot of catastrophes whatever going on and when i get there they've already been averted and you know people are saying you know it's because of black adam so black, was it shazadam <laughs> that they, they were supposedly going to call him but then they said they weren't going to call him that i don't know and then uh the justice league dark backup story which i kind of don't like it being here but whatever there's stuff going on with Merlin, you know, and Merlin is is not a nice guy. Merlin, uh, the magician, the, the that that one, yes. They're they're trying to figure out what they can do, and I'm okay with it. But the, the only thing that that's making me slightly interested is they're saying, okay, you know, we're going to do this, and Satana is going to like step up and take the leadership with this, and she's like, I don't know about that because she's like, you know, we only solved it was the upside down man is you know with thanks to diana to wonder woman but that wonder woman's not there because she's in asgard for whatever crazy reason so i'm i'm a little intrigued with this backup story but i don't know what it is and maybe it's just i don't want all this magic stuff i i think zatanna is a great character and constantine and zatanna i'm i'm, I'm kind of down with that but yeah there's just something so I guess maybe it's 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 good that it's in here because it's it's like forcing me to read it even though I don't have to read it. But I feel like okay, well if I'm you know reading this Justice League story, I might as well read the rest of the issue. So we have all that. There was another um, 
next Batman Second Son. So I think it was it last week that I didn't read it. So I'm I'm getting behind on that. I will try to get caught up on that. Nightwing seventy nine. This book I love this book. So I know I, I haven't been too excited about a lot of these these books. Nightwing has been great. Uh, you know Tom Taylor. I was a little skeptical. You know as much as I love Tom Taylor's writing and everything, I'm always so worried that he's just gonna just be brutal to you know the main characters and just make things horrific. So so far. Things are, are are going pretty well, but you know there are some interesting things that are, are happening where you know he's trying to figure out what's going on and and there's uh, the question with the mayor because you know the mayor was killed by Blockbuster and you know uh, that hasn't really come to light you know who's going to be replacing the mayor and everything but I, I'm digging and I, I love Barbara Gordon being here you know like like just on the outskirts or whatever so I'm hoping she continues to stay here and I, I would imagine she's busy especially if she's being Oracle for Batman but. You know, she can kind of do that anywhere. So I, I'm just really digging this. So, so great writing, great art. So it's great stuff. And then the only other thing from DC, I felt like there was something else. There's Superman Red and Blue issue two. I didn't like this issue as much as the first issue. And as I, I'm reading through the stories, it started getting to a point where some of the stories are, I'm, I'm starting to like roll my eyes. It's just like, oh, Really? And it, it got to, I forgot what was the story. There was one where I'm just like, all right, I, I, I can't read any more of this. I'm, I'm done. And I think there's only one more, maybe one or two more. I don't remember. So we're getting different Superman stories by different creators, which, again, that's cool. It's, it's great to see other creators get a chance to you know, work on a character and so forth. And then you know, we have this red and blue theme where you know, there's, it's not full color. But just some of the stories, I just feel like, I don't know, maybe they're better for um, newer readers or non-regular like uh, readers. Because like the first story, it's, you know, it's a couple of Martha Kent's friends are talking to her. They're like, oh, you know, it's too bad that, you know, like you, don't, you don't have your own kid. You know, you, you adopted, you know, and then she's going through. It's like, oh, you know, but like all the stuff, all having to worry about him and raising him. And, you know, basically it's like it doesn't matter if it's your kid or not. It's like that that's her kid. You know, Clark is, has been her kid. You know, may not be her natural kid, but she's, you know, she is his mother and stuff like that. So, it, you know, it's, it's one of those like touchy feely feel good stories. But I, can, I feel like I can only take so much of that goodness. And then it's just like, then there's this little girl, she's doing show and tell, and, and she's like, here's this piece of this robot from this, this alien battle that I help Superman because we're friends. And another kid's like, no, you're not. And, and then you know what's going to happen. You know that, that she was involved, that her, the story she tells the class is true. And it's like, hmm, is Superman going to show up? And spoiler, he does. <laughs> So, so it, it's a good story, but it's just like, ugh, you know, it's, it's like too much good goodiness for me. So I don't know. So check that out. But it is cool to see the different creators with that. And I think it's the same thing with like the Harley Quinn book, the the red, white, and blood, or whatever. And then like the Wolverine, maybe the Wolverine's red, white, and blood. It's I I don't know. I I feel like it's just too much separate stories. And a lot of them don't have any impactful outcomes, and they don't have to. You know, it's not necessarily that's not the, the point of them. But I don't know. I, I just feel like I don't need just a regular. You know, here's a good story. Here's a good story. Here's a good. I I want 
I'm in, invested in the characters, and you know, especially you know when it comes to time to like buying all these comics, it's like you know that's that's another main decision. So it, it's it's kind of kind of tough choice. Okay, then over at Marvel. So like I said, that, that was it for the DC books, and you know I'm I, I I'm torn with it. I'm kind of. I'm kind of digging. I hate to say it. I'm kind of enjoying that they're not they're not being a lot of DC books. I know I always have the option. It's like I don't have to read everything, but when there's like all these different books, I kind of feel like I have to, especially for the podcast. I mean, if I wasn't talking about a podcast, and you know, I would definitely you know pick and choose more whatever more harshly. But I feel like there's a lot of stuff that I have to read, and I'm trying to. But even like with Catwoman, I'm. Uh, you know, I, I love the character, but there's just times where it, it, the the book just isn't working for me. So, I, it's it's making it tough for me. And I know listening to me struggle with it may not be the most entertaining thing, but also you know I'm trying to give my thoughts on it, and maybe that is part of it. That you know, if if it's not easy for me to read, that that kind of says something. But also at the same time, if you're loving it, you know, I'm not trying to you know make you feel bad or or anything like that. Okay, at Marvel, we had Alien number two. First issue I thought was was okay. You know, I I didn't love it. I am interested in the story. I'm curious to see uh, what what's going to happen. Um, Salvador La Roca, I've, I've you know usually liked his art and everything, and it's okay here. I I think I don't know if it's more the, the colors somehow. It for me it's like that that sci-fi comic book where sometimes the visuals don't quite feel right. And, you know, it doesn't, I'm not saying that the colors are bad, but it's like, I don't know. I just have this, this pet peeve or this glitch that I, it's hard for me to enjoy, but I am curious with what's going on. And uh, the first issue was, you know, a lot of setup and everything, but here we actually, you know, there, there's this dude who was like retired, who is like this expert, you know, dealt with the aliens and everything like that. But then at this uh, like space station thing, there's been like a breach there and so he goes up there and there's been like aliens unleashed and stuff like that so you get you there's like blood and and mayhem and stuff like that if that's what you're you're looking for and everything so you check that out if you're into that um amazing spider-man 64 last issue randy (laughs) randy robertson and uh what's her name what's the new beatles name tombstone's daughter janice maybe so they're dating and they both got kidnapped so we're gonna have this interesting uh team up between tombstone and robbie robertson because they're trying to figure out where their kids and you know them trying to get along with each other so that that's fun i i'm I'm digging that and you know and we see like what how did spider-man you know how did peter parker get away from you know uh, boomerang when they're being attacked and you know so he could change to spider-man and everything and there's stuff with uh Kingpin and you know, Kindred, Harry Osborn and Norman Osborn's like trying to make sure Kingpin's not doing it wrong. Because Kingpin brings in Baron Mordo to try to get some get Kindred to talk or to get access him or whatever. And something's gonna happen. And then there's a spoiler that came out, uh Doc Ock, what? Something with Doc Ock. Where has Doc Ock been? Is he still alive? He was a superior Spider-Man for a while. And I feel like, did he go back to his older, regular body? But he's coming back. So we're going to, we're basically, um, the, the promo went out. Sinister War is coming up. 
So that could be fun. I see that. But uh, there's also stuff with that the tab tableau tablet of life thing or whatever. We'll see about that. So I'm 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 really enjoying the Spider-Man comics. Uh, even though I want a little more happiness between Peter and Mary Jane, and hopefully there's not going to be any major trauma that's going to happen. So fingers crossed. Okay, then uh, we had Avengers 45. So man, I, I don't know what it is about Avengers. You know, we're, we're done with the Phoenix stuff, but now <laughs> we're we're back to a uh, friggin' Dracula. Dracula is back. So Dracula, you know, they were dealing with with Dracula before, and so now Dracula is he wants to like form his own nation, you know, get, get like uh, sovereigns or whatever from the United Nations, get like a seat with them and and everything like that. And Blades, like that's crazy, but like one of their demands is they want like blood, you know. So they're like, okay, we're, we'll give you blood, we'll give you synthetic blood and and stuff like that. So. There's a, a big development for Blade at the end of this issue. And I'm trying to think what else happened. There's something else happened. We had an interesting conversation between uh, Robbie Reyes and, and Echo. So now that Echo is Phoenix, you know, she's she's not sure how long, you know, she's going to be Phoenix or anything like that. There's some, But then it was funny because Robbie turns into Ghost Rider and he's like talking. She's like, hey, I can't kind of can't read your lips when you don't have any, when you're just a flaming skull. So we'll see. I don't And I don't know how he feels. So, oh, yeah, did I mention that? So Echo is a new Phoenix host. So she kind of was chosen. Things kind of worked out for her to win the battle, sort of. And uh, I'm not sure where that's going to go and how it's going to work. I mean, it's, I'm definitely interested. I'm curious. And it was uh, basically they, they kind of did a cop out, which is fine, which is good, where there wasn't like a winner between Captain America and Black Panther because, you know, the fight was like interrupted because I, I say it should be Captain America. But I feel like with the way things are and even with the way like Black Panther is acting here, you know, getting ready for his training and, you know, all this stuff, I feel like they would say that, you know, Black Panther is unstoppable. He makes no mistakes and, and everything like that, which maybe that's the case, but I don't know. Uh, Black Panther or Black Knight Curse of the Ebony Blade issue two came out. I didn't read the first issue. So it's by Simon Spur. He's, he's writing it. I'm just, I just don't like Black Knight that much. I, I, I don't have a, a problem with Dane Whitman, but I don't know. Maybe it's just the idea of you have a knight who's sometimes riding on a horse, on a winged horse or a mechanical, whatever, atomic horse steed. I just don't really care to see him. I don't know. I and I, I feel bad for saying that because he seems like a nice guy. <laughs> you know, he's just a comic book character. I don't know. Captain Marvel, issue 28. So Carol's back from being in the future. And again, in the future, the world was being kind of ruled by the son of Namor, an enchantress, and then he ended up escaping, and he went back in time. So now Carol's like, this dude's going to pop up at any moment and try to cause chaos. So she's like, I need to try to stop him. I need to learn some magic so I can can handle him, can deal with him. And so she goes to Doctor Strange, and Doctor Strange's like, I'm not going to teach you magic. And you know, she's trying to, you know, she does a little convincing, but you know, it doesn't quite work out, whatever. 
So, but you can see on the cover, you know, she's kind of got a new look. It was weird because he's like, okay, if we're going to do this, you, you need to be less conspicuous or something like that. Because her, her costume, there's not that much difference. And now she's wearing like a cloak and, you know, because then they're walking down the street and people are like turning their heads, looking at her. So I don't really know. It's a cool look, but I don't understand really what's going on. Then we have Carnage, Black, White, and Blood. So, okay, you have Donnie Cates, you have Chip Zdarsky, uh, you have Ram V, but still, I hate, I hate Carnage. I don't hate very many characters. I hate Carnage. I do not care one bit about Carnage. And uh, uh, I just, I don't, and I, I really don't know what it is. One, I, I don't want all these other symbiotes. You know, even like Shriek and Toxin and, you know, all, all those. It's like, I don't care about them. It's like Venom is Venom is is cool. Venom I can tolerate because you know he's the original symbiote or whatever. I don't care about all these other ones that are just like duplicates. And I know we have a lot of duplicate characters, but I just don't care. And then I maybe I really wonder is like is it the fact that Carnage, you know, Cletus Cassidy was a serial killer? I don't want to read about a serial killer just like psychotic, you know, whatever crazed who. It's just that's not not fun. I don't want to give any support to you know whatever he does and so anyways with uh this book this is like short stories i guess or random story this is like one of those compilation stories like here's a bunch of great create creators <laughs> this is what i'm trying to say here's a bunch of great creators working on carnage telling stories <laughs> yay champions issue six so now uh that kamala's law which is preventing Teenage heroes from working. It's kind of been put on pause for a bit once they found out that Roxanne was involved with it. So Roxanne's the evil corporation that only does evil things. So it's been put on pause, but it's still kind of hanging over their heads. And then it turns out Roxanne now is trying to do like this like social networking app thing. And obviously there's some like sketchy uh motives behind it. So they gotta, you know, be careful with that. And but then the other thing is the art here. Everything kind of almost looked like too pretty, too polished. Because um, even like Kamala didn't look like Kamala. I mean, it was like, well, what Kamala's wearing, like, did she go to like get a makeover all of a sudden? You know, it's just everyone just seemed off a little bit. But, uh, but the story is kind of interesting to see, you know. Um, but Riri Williams is like very angry. And it's like angry than usual. She's like really mad. And I guess she's maybe she's just at her wits end or whatever. And, and she's mad at, at Viv. And, you know, there, there's a little bit, of, you know, there's some reasons for that. But it's it's almost like, okay, you know, we need to get over things. You know, what's a greater good? And and she's like accusing him. It's like, we're not getting anything done or this or that. It's like, come on. Uh, what else do we have? Um, Eternals issue four. I kind of struggle a little bit with this one. You know, I've, I've kind of been enjoying this series, and I keep I will admit right away, you know, I'm not an Eternals expert. I'm not a huge Eternals fan. I don't know a whole lot about them. It's been interesting, you know, seeing these other characters and, and getting to know them a little better because, you know, some of them are like, yeah, I, I remember that character. I remember reading, you know, seeing some stories or whatever. But, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm just, I was a, it was a bit of a struggle to, to get through this. I'm curious as to who's like killing the Eternals, you know, we got Thanos, obviously Thanos is killing them, but then, you know, they're, they're able to resurrect themselves, but the 
device machine thing, whatever is on the Fritz and the Eternals leader is dead. So it's like, well, we can't revive him if the thing's not working. So it's like, what can we do? And, and so forth. So there's some interesting things there. The Mighty Valkyries issue one. So this was this was another weird book. So the first story, you know, Jane Foster, she's uh, you know, doing both being she's been uh punished, so she's uh, an assistant to the morgue dude. The uh, you know, so instead of being a doctor and she's still being Valkyrie, so she, you know, she's doing both things and she's trying to figure out like what's going on. There's this some attack from some big beast. And then there's a another story about uh, um, this. Uh, what was her name? Another Valkyrie. So I I didn't love it, but I I'm, I'll keep reading it. Sword issue five. This uh, book. So now there there's a lot about Fabian Cortez. It's like, geez, what is your prom, dude? Because you know Fabian kind of sacrificing. He died during the King in Black fight i guess so now he's back and he wants to talk about murder with the the council and you know because like one of their rules is you can't kill humans but he kind of like wants to override this and everything like that but then it's like they kind of make not not that they're making fun of him but they're like okay you want to talk to the council it's like he comes out of his birthing thing and when you come out you're naked so they're like, okay, we need to go now. So they don't even let him get dressed or anything like that. So he's supposed to like make his case while he's naked and everything like that. And so I don't know. Um, and it was just like weird because it's like, wait, what, this doesn't, this isn't really continuing with what happened last issue. And yeah, I, so I, I'm not really sure like where this book is going. Spider Woman issue 11. So this is a. Uh, Great new jump on, jumping on point. And so Spider-Woman's back to her classic costume, which seems weird. It's like, you make this big deal about her new costume. She's, this is like her, she's had two costumes. I mean, she had the costume uh, a few years ago with like the jacket and the glasses and everything like that. And I thought that was kind of slick. That it's a little more practical. You know, I'm a sucker for like the classic looks. You know, I, I think that there's something about them. But realistically you know wearing you know bright red with yellow boots and gloves it's it seems a little weird and like potentially like an arrow pointing to her crotch you know it it's it's a little weird but the fact that it's a it's a classic costume so you kind of like that so i did enjoy uh the new costume was it chris anka that designed it i could be wrong with that or i don't know anyways then she had this other new costume which i was i was kind of intrigued with you know curious about that but, you know, there's some stuff going on with that. And now she's uh, back to her regular costume. So it's just like, I don't, I don't know. So she's just trying to get her ground. What I do like is uh, the costume designer. And I don't remember if this is, we saw her earlier, but it's Ronnie. And she's uh, the costume designer that Gwenpool used. So I, I thought that that was, was cool. But, um, yeah, so you can jump into this issue. If you haven't been reading the, the previous 10 issues, you can find out what, what's going on. Dr. Afra came out, issue 9. I haven't been reading this. Is it any good? Uh, I just, what, with the, the previous series before, I just kind of got a little tired with Dr. Afra, And, you know, because she's, like, kind of evil, whatever. It's like, what, what's her schemes? What's she trying to do? Which, what, you know, is she a con, con woman? And so, yeah, I don't know 
if I should be reading this or not. Way of X issue one. This was this was uh, okay for me. Um, I think other people might like this more. So Simon Spur writes this, and there's a lot of stuff with Nightcrawler, and you know he's contemplating like you know like the religion, like should he start a religion on Krakoa and stuff like that. And then we're seeing some of the other mutants where one thing that that bothered me a little bit is how they're so like oh we could just you know we could just die it's not a big deal and everything and you know they're i think it was pixie who had hadn't died yet and been reborn so they're almost kind of like pushing her into it then they're in the middle of this case and it's kind of it's like oh just go ahead and, and kill me and because that'll be shocking and so it's like you can't ask to be killed type of thing you know so i, I just feel like they're they're too too safe you know that there there should be a bigger repercussion because then we're getting like silly deaths and that don't mean anything and then uh a character shows up at the end which some people are going to be excited about i just really don't like the character and this is there's a reason why i didn't read this character's previous series which i think it was like went up to issue 30 or something like that um previous ish series that uh simon spur I think pretty sure he was a writer, right? And uh, the character also had a TV show. I just I'm not a fan of the character. So now the character here is like, oh no, what's gonna happen? I don't know. Um, and then Woman of Marvel number one. I kind of skimmed through this. I kind of didn't like it so much because some of the stories. And again, there's different stories. There's a lot of stories by Mariko Tamaki, which is great. You know, I, I like what, what she does. But like one of the stories is like someone's getting like a manicure or something like that. It's like this is supposed to be what the women of Marvel are, and and that that's not representative of the whole thing. But I I just I didn't finish that. It was another one because it's just like a bunch of shorter stories, and some of them were just like a page long. So I don't know, it just didn't go for me. And then the other one that I, I hate to end on this note, X Force nineteen. I kind of struggled to to get through this. So this is continuing to stuff with a uh, uh, Quentin Quire. And, you know, like him, like being killed and coming back and just dealing with everything. And what's this, this darkness and who, who's coming after him or whatever. And I was just like, oh, kind of bored. Even though like Gene, I mean, I, I really dig the cover, but I don't know what it was about this. And just, I just kept getting distracted at some points like throughout. And I, I it, but that bothers me. Uh, so I don't know. So it didn't, didn't quite work for me, unfortunately. But fortunately, <laughs> that's going to be the end of my complaining, I guess. For That's been uh, the comics for the week. All right, with Bird Girl, I, I almost didn't cover it this week just because there's so much other stuff that I'm covering this week, including, you know, what are four episodes of them and two episodes of Cruel Summer. But I was like, well, I covered the first two episodes, so I should still cover it. So, so let's, anyways, here we go. Episode three third girl uh jillian uh judy bird girl's assistant sitting at her desk and you know she's kind of talking to herself she's very into her job you know she's takes it completely seriously she thinks she's like the gatekeeper of secrets because she's bird girl's assistant and she's judy's assistant so she we didn't see when this happened but she's realized that judy and bird girl are the same person it's not that much of a secret a lot of people have i mean it's it's obvious i guess and that's something that is kind of touched on this this episode but she feels like you know she's has to make sure no one you know realizes 
that they're the same person. So Judy's actually in her office with Meredith, uh, Charlie, and a dog McBucket hat or whatever. They're like trying to figure out the ba- the budget. They're you know trying to keep things balanced and everything like that. So Jillian wants to make sure no one knows about Bird Girl or Judy's secret. And one of the things she said is because if Bird Girl's out, you know, fighting crime or whatever. Um, she could get sued, the company could get sued or whatever, and, you know, it could go bankrupt and everything like that. But Judy, you know, she mentions like, well, you know, it's kind of like a low-key secret, you know, She and she's like, there's already pictures online comparing them, and, you know, you see like an image of them too, like in the same exact position, whatever. So then uh, Bird Girl goes out, and, um, you know, she fights some bank robbers, and she opens like the bag of money, whatever, and the blue dye blast, like, hits her in the face. When she comes home, Jillian's actually there, you know, she she went over there, and uh, Jill, or Judy takes a shower. She still has the blue like on on the front, like, and because she's wearing a mask as Bird Girl, so you, like the her her mouth is blue, but the top of her face isn't. And I was like, oh, is this gonna be something where she's gonna go to work now, and she's got blue, and and it's just like, like on her front half, like her back is, well, you know, still like flesh color, but then it's it in the morning, it's it's gone. So I they didn't do anything with this. Bird cat, so so the cat that Judy has kind of taken in that wears a mask, her mask sometimes, goes out and does some stuff, which is like his own adventures and everything. <laughs> um, Charlie and Meredith, they say that Jillian needs to fire, or Judy needs to fire Jillian because her overtime is putting them in the red because, you know, she's doing all these extra hours and everything like that. Or they could hire another assistant to split the time because that way they're not doing overtime hours, which is more or whatever. So they tell Jillian that, that they need to hire another assistant. And she's like, she kind of panics for like a split second. She's like, oh, I, I know just a person, whatever. So what she does is she puts on a blonde wig, glasses, and has like an English accent. And she says her name is Jennifer with a, a G. So in the morning, uh, Jillian takes off. Um, she puts has like a face mask on, you know, you know, the skin moisturizing thing, whatever. And she's got like this crack in her face, and she's like, oh, whatever. And she just puts makeup on it, you know. She doesn't even really think about it. And she's taking these like energy drops, like all the time, like energy every time she takes it, whatever. Uh, so productivity is down. Oh, because people thought that there was going to be layoffs, and you know, when she was balancing the budget. But then when they found out that there's uh, not going to be layoffs, and so now they're not productive because of the non-layoffs. So be, before, when they thought they were going to be laid off, everyone's like working their butts off to make sure they don't get laid off and everything. So then Jillian, Judy tells Jillian that she's going to need her and Jennifer at this event tonight, like both of them at the same time. So she's going to have to figure out how she does that because no one knows that they're the same person. Meredith uh, talks to Brian and the masseuse guys. She's trying to get them not to think about the layoffs. So she's having like these talk sessions, whatever. It doesn't really work. Um, then they decide to get another assistant for uh, Jillian, for yeah, Jillian and Jennifer. So they get Benji. So Benji's a, the guy where he's always kind of th- thrusting his, his crotch around, and, and they've commented that he just has a lot of pubes, so that's why it looks like so big, whatever. So they're going to get him. So Jillian ends up posing as him, too. So now she's posing as three different people. And she keeps, you know, she's taking more and more energy drinks or whatever. So then, you know, what it happens, it all kind of comes out at the end. And, you know, because she actually, she kind of kidnaps real Benji. So they find him. So they, they, they're going to force Jillian to use her vacation days. But then her face becomes cracked. And then the, the different personalities kind of like emerge out of her. So she's kind of like three heads and everything like that. And and she's like out. She, she sees bird cat. She brings a cat home, whatever. And then she like kind of passes out. 
bird girl comes home, carries her upstairs, like brushes her teeth, the all teeth or whatever, puts her to bed. And in the morning, she's just Jillian. And that's kind of like where the episode ends. But the stuff with bird cat, like bird cat goes, walks into this house and there's his dad, like kind of yelling at, at his family because he's working a lot, whatever. And, and then, and he's drinking, you know, and then bird cat just like knocks the bottle over and he's like, Oh, you're right. He's like, I'm drinking too much. I need to spend more time with my family, whatever. But, and then they all kind of hug. And then, then bird cat knocks over a candle and there's, there's still hugging everything and the house starts catching on fire. But then later bird cat returns and what does bird cat do? Like knocks, like pushes a TV out of the way, you know, cause the family's back in like the burnt house and then like behind a TV, there's like a, a safe, the safe opens and there's like all this like, you know, original document of some, I forget what it was like all this and valuables and so it's just just kind of silly, but that was it. That's that's the whole episode. So I don't know. I mean, yeah, I only spent like six minutes talking about it, but it's. I mean, I I kind of like the show, but I'm not loving it. And uh, the only reason I like it is, I, you know, I I like the bird girl character. I think there's something there, but the show is just okay, and it's not doesn't compare to like the first couple seasons of Harvey Birdman, Attorney at Law, but it doesn't have to be. So I don't know, maybe, maybe I'll keep talking about it. We'll see. I mean, that's not that long, but so we'll see. Okay. Invincible season one, episode seven, we need to talk. So we have one more episode after this. Things are heating up here. So now again, if you know, if you've read the comics, you're probably, you know, have an idea what's, what's going on. And what I'm realizing as I'm watching this and, you know, thinking back after I record an episode, you know, what I'm saying is like, Oh, what's going to happen. I'm, I've forgotten things. Cause it's been a while since I've read them, which is good. But then, you know, as soon as like something happens, it's like, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So I'm enjoying it. Like I, I know like certain things that are, are coming up and, but it, it's, I'm, I'm loving the show. So with this episode, Debbie wakes up alone, so uh, Invincible's mom, Mark's mom, and she goes downstairs. She sees all like the hole in the wall because that Nolan punched whatever. He's just like standing and like staring out the patio door, and they they start talking about like the bloody clothes or whatever. And he, he says that like he wanted to tell her uh, she needs to trust him, and you know she and Mark will be okay. But she's like the Guardians were good people, and you know because he killed him. And she's like, and you're still not telling me anything. And she's like, well, you know, if you have nothing else to say, then, you know, get out of my house or whatever. So then, you know, he's just like, he still doesn't say anything. So it's like, what, what is this? What's his deal? Why did he kill him? What's he, why, how is he trying to protect them? Or what does all this mean? So then he just like drops the uniform, whatever. And he just like, whoosh, just flies through the ceiling. It's like, okay, you couldn't open up a door and do that. You got to bust a hole through the ceiling. So he just like takes off. And then uh, she tries calling Mark. Uh, but then, you know, she can't get a hold of him. But then uh, the armored troops in Ferguson teleport in. They're like, you need to come with us, whatever. So Mark is in the car. They're driving home from college. Amber won't talk him. He's, like, in the backseat. He tries, like, talking to her, and she just, like, turns the radio up louder or whatever. They finally arrive at her house, and she, you know, thanks and says goodbye to William and everything, but she, like, doesn't even say anything to Mark. He, like, follows her to her door, and, you know, she, he's like, yes, okay, I messed up. And, I was, and she's just, like doesn't want anything you know to do with him he's about to, he's like i'm and she like closed the door on him so she goes upstairs and you hear whoosh, whoosh. so he changed into his costume and he's like floating in her bedroom and he takes off his mask he's like it's me uh he's like you know this is why i was always late you know i'm always doing this stuff and she's like i know you're a superhero she's like i figured it out 
apparently she's mad at him because he lied to her. He's like, but it's a, a secret identity or whatever. So this is a stupid thing. Like the whole thing is like, oh, you lied to me because you didn't tell me. It's like, why, you know, whatever, especially, you know, because I, as I've been like watching this, it's like, oh, should he tell her? Should he tell her? It's like, okay, I hate to say it, you know, high school romance. How long is this romance going to last? Maybe, it, could this be it? If you've read the comics, you know, it's not. But it just seems kind of silly. It's like, you know, you're so young, you're not going to reveal this big, huge secret because, you know, you shouldn't be revealing. So here's a hint, kids, if you're listening. Be careful when you're telling your friends, even your best friend or your significant other, when you're telling them all your, like, big, juicy secrets because potentially you might have a falling out at some point and then, you know, you're knowing that this person knows your secrets. I mean, what kind of secrets are you hiding? Whatever. And I'm not saying, you know, just be dishonest or just don't tell anyone anything, but something like that. I mean, maybe I'm not trying to give relationship advice. That's not what this should... That's that's another podcast. Uh, Advice, random advice from heck, heck, whatever. So it just seems silly because this has happened before where people get mad or whatever. But it's like, it's also, it's for your protection, you know, because you can't have anyone know whatever. So she she's mad. And so then he just, he's like, all right, she won't even talk to him. So he just like flies off. And then she's kind of like, after he leaves, she like looks. So it's like, dude, you're you're being an idiot about this. Sorry, Amber, but you're being an idiot about it. Eve, you know, she wakes up, she's using her powers, you know, she makes some coffee and stuff and everything, and you know, she's still got her, her Ewok house and everything like that, and then she's like, flies up on the roof of her little like tree house thing and just admires the sunrise and that. Monster Girl arrives at the Guardian's base, they like welcome her with like celebration, Rex brings out like a bunch of milk con- containers, she's like, oh, but I'm lactose intolerant, he's like, that's okay, I put beer in all of them. And he's, they're like, you know, you know how long I, I spent with that or whatever. And apparently he like just like dumped all the milk, so it was like a waste of milk to, for him to do this, whatever. Robots are, he's he's said it, he's delighted with her recovery, he, and he's like very much whatever. He's and he's like, I would never let you die, 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 die. And he's just like starts glitching out. Then he apologizes. He's like, oh, it's just a small programming error. And he's like, it's about to be fixed. So it's like, what does that mean? Then we see the Mahler twins. They they try hijacking this truck. And, uh, you know, they, they're in front of the driver. They, like, shoot at the, the glass, and the driver doesn't even flinch. So then they open the door. The driver is just a hologram. So then robots in the back, and there's, like, this big, like, cloning tube thing or just, like, this pod with, like, spider legs that comes out. And there's this, like, little gross body inside. So apparently that is the real robot, and he's making a new body, or that's what he's having them make. Uh, that's so he wants to he has some allers like he wants to see what they've been doing and there's this like human like teenage kid in in a, t- a tube that they have william and uh mark talk and then you know mark's like you know if you would have helped me find rick right away you know we, we could have saved him you know from turning getting turned into a cyborg and mark's like i know he's like you know it's like i, I suck at this he's like, i don't even know if i want to be a superhero and he's like i just keep messing up and i'm going to fail high school and all this stuff and william's like what what are you talking about whatever all this stuff debbie um she's so she's brought into a control room so cecil tells her that you know nolan killed guardians or she tells cecil that nolan he's like yeah i know and then she slaps him she's like how come you didn't tell me or whatever and and he's like well i was you know trying to figure out what to do and you know whatever and then she's like are you gonna kill him and cecil's like well i don't even know if we can he's like you know there's only one person who might be able to go toe-to-toe with. and she's like never 
And then Cecil's like, well, where is Mark? Because you know, Mark's the only one that could stand up to him, but he's not ready to stand up to him. Um, Nolan, he's like, tell, he's like, Mark, I need to tell you, I killed the Guardians of the Globe. He's like, I'm not a monster. He's like, I didn't want to do it, but you know, it was my responsibility. And he's like, you know, so what I'm going to say is going to change everything. So he's not really talking to Mark. He's like practicing like what to tell. He's like out in some like random desolate mountain, you know, trying to figure this out or whatever. Then we see uh, the Mahler twins. So they have to drill into the real robot's tube because he says he didn't design it to be open or whatever. And, you know, so they're like, well, what changed? And he said he met someone. So they they put the little body on a table next to the new body. And they're going to do like a neural transfer, whatever thing. So, um, oh, and they want this like control collar thing. And he robot, this is what robot's giving him. And he has like the encryption key whatever that that they'll get when they, they finish this so the circuits are, are crackling but the problem is his brain is abnormal and the machine can't quite handle it so it's it's painful for the real robot um blob guy and like one of the machine catches fire or whatever but it's like the the data transfer is like going finally reaches a hundred percent so the new body uh takes off the helmet and he's like which am i and then the other body's like like dying, and it tells a new one to be happy. He's like, change the world. He's like, experience everything that you know I never could. And then it dies. So the Maulers ask for the schematics for the control collar. So the kid gives them like the crypto key thing, whatever. And he tells them he's like, now that our deal is complete, it's time for you to go to jail. They laugh at him because he's just a teenage boy, and he says he's like, no, he's like, I'm a 30 year old genius in a teenage boy's body. And he's like, the, the, neur the neural chip that you installed with in my brain allows me to control the other robots. So, the, you know, a couple of robots come out, whatever. And then, like, the truck that came in turns into, like, this big giant robot as well. So the giant robot's, like, fighting the maulers. He robot gets called in for a big level emergency, but, you know, he's fighting them. So they end up leaving before he can stop the, the maulers. Nolan um, comes home looking for Mark. No one's home. He hears a creak. And he like zips to the other side of the room and grabs uh, one of the guards. There's like a cloak guard, and he like smashes his head against the floor. It's like bloody mess. And then they, the other in, you know, cloak guards, start shooting at him in the, like the living room or whatever. He's like he's killing them and maiming them, doing all this stuff. One like gets thrown outside and it's like starts crawling up, trying to crawl across the street to where Ferguson is, like where they're like spying on them. And then Nolan just like smashes it, and he, then he sees the house. He just smashes into the house. He, just because a guy's like reaching his hand doesn't mean there's anything there. He maybe he's just asking anyone for help. So he goes in there, sees that they were spying on him, and then uh, Ferguson is about to hit this button, and then Nolan or Omni Man comes up to him, grabs his spine, and just like squeezes. And then Ferguson's like, "It's been an honor." Hits the button, and then the house just blows up. So we see this like satellite footage. And Cecil, so he was talking to Cecil, saying it was a an honor to be working with him, whatever. Then you see Omni Man's there. The, the explosion didn't even do anything, so it's like it was pointless. Didn't even stop him. Eve's flying through the woods, and Mark shows up, and they start talking a little bit. Omni Man lands in front of William, and he's like, "Where's Mark?" And he's like, so he's just basically gives out his identity, which you know he probably already knew. And, you know, he's just, like, really, like, like he puts, like, a handprint, like, squeezes, like, the dents the roof of his car. And so then, he like, he tells him, you know, that Amber and him had gotten a fight, whatever, and he's, like, out, whatever. 
So Cecil calls New Guardians and he tells them to sit tight unless he calls them. Uh, kid Robot <laughs> shows up. So they're like, who are you? Whatever. And he says his name is Rudolph Connors, but he prefers Rudy. He said the robot that they knew was just a drone. So Rex is like freaking out. He's like, he's like, why do you look just like me? And Rudy Robot, he's like, that can wait. They all ask why Robot made a copy of Rex and why a kid version. And the Monster Girl's like, he did it for me. So Rudy said that he adapted his DNA because Monster Girl found him interesting. Mark and Eve talk about him getting dumped. Omni-Man's on the way. So Cecil's going to drop the, the hammer on Nolan. It's like this big beam from a satellite, whatever. Um, this is what they, they saw earlier. And, you know, there, there's it's just a big blast. And there's like all these dead creatures and birds, whatever. He gets up. They're about to shoot again. And he goes up and destroys it. So then Samson, you know, he he interrupts the the, the guardians. He's like, he knows why Cecil is, has him on high alert and because he sees that uh, Omni-Man destroyed the satellite. So even Mark, they see the explosion from the satellite. Mark's like, you know, it's not our problem. You know, he doesn't care, but she wants to go and save lives. Mark's like, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm done with that. I'm not going to do that. So she leaves. Cecil teleports out. And he shoots Nolan with his gun, like, to get his attention. Nolan keeps trying to grab him, like, zipping and grip, but Cecil keeps teleporting away each time. And Cecil, he's like, why, why'd you do it? He's like, the Guardians helped you so many times. And, and Cecil mentions Debbie. He's like, don't say her name. And Cecil's like, why? He's like, I didn't hurt her. You did. He's like, you've been lying to all of us for the past 20 years. And he's like, and what's Mark going to think about his, his dad being a murderer? And then, you know, Nolan's like, this is pointless. He's like, you can't hurt me. And Cecil's, he's like, well, you know, I'm just buying some time. So then he's, uh, he teleports away. Um, Nolan manages to grab, like, part of his, his tie as he teleports. These, like, pods, like, shoom, 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 land. And there's, like, these savage cyborg beasts, like, jump out and start, like, like, smashing him and everything like that. And Cecil says that they're dead soldiers, that they were made by Sinclair. So they took him into custody. He's, like, he's got a control collar thing on. He He's not allowed to talk or anything. But, you know, he made these beast things to, to fight him. They, they put up, you know, they do a good job fighting against him. But Omni-Man eventually, like, destroys him. And then Cecil's like, okay, take out Hail Mary out of the icebox. So Hail Mary is like the giant kaiju thing that, that Omni-Man fought. And there's like these like camera sphere things, you know, floating around. Omni-Man tells the camera because he knows Cecil's watching. He's like, oh, you must be desperate. He's like, I beat this thing already. And uh, the new guardians want to go and help. But Cecil tells them to stay put. He's like, you're the last hope against Omni-Man. And they're like, wait, did he just say against Omni-Man? Because, you know, they, they don't realize what's going on. The Maulers have, um, so they, they got Immortal's body. They staple his head back on. They put the, the control collar. They kind of figured out the schematics or whatever from, from what Robot had. They put on, he's still not alive, but then one Mauler starts like pounding on his chest. And and then Immortal starts seeing like his past lives. He wakes up. And he's like, ah, he's just like screaming. So they, they try using the control collar on him and tell him to destroy Robot and New Guardians. But he just like tears the control collar off. And he's like, where's Omni-Man? And, he's just like, and then he just flies away. Uh, Mark catches up to Eve. He's decided he's going to go and help her or whatever. They see the giant beast thing. Mark flies at it and punches it so it drops his dad. Debbie calls Eve's phone. Because you know, Mark, oh, so they couldn't call Mark because his phone got busted in the sewers last last episode. So Debbie calls Eve, and you know Cecil tells her to go to like the Guardians' headquarters, or whatever. And then Omni Man uh, tells 
Mark that Cecil sent the beast after him. Immortal arrives. He's in a rage. He starts punching Omni-Man. Mark gets grabbed again by the beast, which distracts Nolan a little bit. Omni-Man, um, Immortal's fighting him. He punches through his chest again and out his back. Basically, Omni-Man kills Immortal again. <laughs> Everyone's watching this. There's like a bunch of cameras and TV footage or whatever. And then Immortal jams his stubs into Omni-Man's eyes. And he just... It, he doesn't gouge his. I thought he was gonna gouge his eyes, but his eyes are just red. Omni Man just like screams and kind of like does like a karate chop, chops Immortal in half, and Invin- Invincible is just like he's like Dad. Omni Man's like we need to talk, but it's like everyone saw Omni Man going berserk and killing Immortal again, even though he was dead and they had the funeral, and so it's a it's a bit of a mess. But we have one more episode, and again, if you read the comics, you know what this talk is going to be about, but. Yeah, so things are, are are changing here. So it, I mean, it's a good. I I just I just don't like that it's only eight episodes. I don't like eight such a small number. We we need need more. Okay, speaking of needing more, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, episode six, one world, one people. So it starts off. Carlin people are ready to make their move. You know, the GRC building in New York City is under lockdown because there's been multiple threats. Bucky's there, like on street level. Sam's apparently flying in, and he Sam says, you know, he called in some backup. Bucky's walking in. Some some old dudes like, are you supposed to be here? And it turns out it's it's really Sharon. She has like one of those tech mask things. You know, she takes it off. Which she, well, I don't know why she doesn't keep it on. So she she arrived there. Carly um, sees like someone fly overhead, so it's like, is that Sam or is that someone else? She um, tells her people like to, to start. They unleash some gas, you know, inside, and people start like panicking. Sam flies in, you know, you see a shield that hits one of the guards, and then Sam flies in, so he has new costume and a shield. So his costume looks very much, uh, very similar to like comic book Captain America, Sam, Captain America. So it's it's pretty cool looking. Uh, you know, he, he fights this one guy, whatever, and uh, this one guy, one of the guys, he's like, like who, who are you? He, and he's like, I'm Captain America. So Sam realizes that Carly must want everyone to go outside. That's the point of the gas and everything. So he's like, like no, we need people to stay inside. He's like, don't go out there. Batrick pops out, starts kicking or starts attacking Sam. Carly calls this lady who hands the phone to Bucky, and she's like, you know, Carly, let's talk to you. And she said that you know she's fighting something bigger than herself and all this stuff like that. And Bucky's like, he's like, yeah, I know what that's like. He's like, I, I, that's all I try to do. And he's like, and I failed twice at it. And he realizes that there was kind of like a distraction, a phone call. She was trying to distract him or whatever. So people, uh, the, the GRC, whatever, the higher up, the big wigs, uh, the government people, they're being put into these like armored transport trucks. And this one guard is like out there. He like locks the door from the outside, and he puts this like disc thing on there that's supposed to like super lock it or something. I don't know. Sam and Batrick are still fighting. Bucky is like trying to tell Carly, you know, he's like killing isn't going to make the nightmares go away. He's like, you're going to remember every single death, you know, from from now on. But you know, she's doesn't care. She doesn't want to hear this. So then it's like, okay, what is what's Sharon? up to because she's in a garage and then you know she she bumps into one of the guards and she's like oh sorry whatever and then he go gets into a car and then whoosh, the, the device goes off there's like some like smoke and he's like dead or something it's, it's like i don't know some toxic gas it seems like maybe he wasn't dead but he didn't look too good so uh bucky hops on his motorcycle he's driving after the armored transports with the the hostages now is who, who they are. Sam, um, he's using the shield. He's pretty good with the shield. 
and you know he's he's fighting Batrick. He's using it at one, but one point he like throws the shield, and then Batrick throws like a chair at it, and then it like falls to the floor. So he like interrupted the trajectory that probably Sam didn't think about or plan because you can't figure everything out. And but then at one point they're fighting, and he kind of kicks it up. You know he steps on it, so it flies up and hits Patrick in the face, whatever. And it's also kind of cool because as he's like pushing him with the shield, he like uses a thrusters to like kind of push himself forward because you know he doesn't have super strength or anything. Uh, he's kind of done with him. He throws a shield out the window, and he like flies out after and catches it because he needs to get because Carly's men has some hostages in the helicopter too. So Carly tells her people that. Um, like worst case scenario to, to kill the hostages you can see her crew is a little uneasy about this and she, but she's like well you know either way our message gets out and she's like one world and they're like one people so it's like their, their mantra or whatever sam uh saves a couple people you know like from the helicopter or whatever and he, he puts them on a bridge people are seeing so he's like making a public appearance people are seeing him in costume with the shield and everything like that bucky catches up to the transport he has to like fight a super soldier and um, so the truck that's like stopped, it's like someone's like pouring gas on there and like lights it on fire. And then John Walker shows up. He's still wearing his Captain America costume, even though he's not supposed to be. And he's like unshaven. He has a shield. He like throws a shield at Carly, but she like kicks it away. And he's kind of getting his butt kicked. And like at one point he's being, you know, he's, he got his shield back and he's like holding it up and he's being pushed down. He's staring at the metal that he like welded on there or something like that and he's just like that's like giving him a little more like incentive or energy or whatever bucky um saves some people in the truck and one person like thanks him so that that's nice that he actually was appreciated then he goes uh to try to like stop the fight against walker sam goes after the helicopter with the hostages one of the hostages knows how to fly because he like calls her cell phone he's like hey a bird told me you know how to fly a helicopter which a little convenient that he he was able to call the right person because you know he texts he's like put in your earbuds what are the chances that you're walking around with earbuds you know and stuff like that so he's basically going to tell her to get ready he does some stuff takes out the pilot you know zips out and then she has to jump forward and take control of the helicopter so walker's still fighting uh there's more hostages in the second armored transport whatever and then it's like you know walker versus carly uh, she manages to get into the second truck and drives away, but then she jumps out of the truck and it kind of crashes. It's kind of teetering off this high level, which is like maybe, oh, maybe it's like like three or four f- like stories high. But and you know, walkers. He's still trying to. He seems like he keeps like kind of like blinking, like you know, he's trying to see straight. You know, he's just trying to get his head in, in the fight, whatever. And he manages to. You know, he starts uh, pulling the truck, but then other people start like fighting him he gets like knocked down and like falls the truck's starting to, to fall over the edge but then sam's there and he's like trying to hold it using his thruster a couple like red i think there's more than one red bird like fly out and they're like thrusting you know they attach to the the truck to to pull the the the, the truck back up bucky's like watching this and smile people are cheering and this one dude's like that's black falcon so i want i don't know if it's that that kid's uncle or whoever was that you know we saw earlier and now the guy is like it's like nah he's like that's captain america and a little cheesy and it was a white dude that said it so it's supposed to be like oh he's accepting i'm pretty sure it was a white dude uh so yeah there's there's that um the crew gets taken out carly's upset that sam is is going for the government bs because you know he's dressed as captain america has a shield or whatever and he says that he's trying to do something different and then some smoke bomb comes down 
Batrick, he shot them so Carly could escape. So now Sam, Walker, and Bucky are chasing after them. So it's like weird that they're working with John Walker now. So Batrick and Carly split up, so they have to split up too. So I think it's Bucky goes with Walker, and then Sam's like on, on his own. So Sharon uh, gets a jump on Carly, and she points a gun at her, and then it's basically a standoff because Carly has a gun too. So then finally Sharon kind of puts her gun down and she's, you know, she's like, I'm disappointed. And uh, I think, no, I think Carly said she was disappointed and Sharon said she was too. Someone said they're disappointed. The other one said, I am too. So they know each other. And Sharon's like, you know, when you came to Madripoor, you reminded me of a young me. He's like, I gave you the opportunity and stuff like that. But Carly, you know, she's saying some stuff that, you know, she's like, you wanted to control the world that hurt you. She's like, but I wanted to change it. She's like, I'm not interested in power or an empire. She's like, I have a, a bigger dream. Because you know, Sharon's like, you know, come back and work for me. You know, we can make a difference together. And Carly's like, you just want me because you want your muscle back. She's like, well, you know, without our super soldiers, how much power does a power broker really have? And then she's like, well, more than you. And then Batrick, uh hears this he, he's like so you're the power broker and then you know he's holding a gun at carly whatever he tells sharon he's like you're, you're gonna pay me four times what you you said before or i'm gonna tell the world who you are and sharon's like you know yeah but she's like i don't really do blackmail so she shoots batrick but he shoots her too so she get kind of gets like a, a gut shot or whatever sam comes up and then i think uh carly said you know sharon manipulated her or something like that and then so now it's, it's, you know, Carly and Sam are, are fighting. Like at one point, you know, she throws like a cinder block and, you know, he, he like throws a shield, you know, sort of fighting, all this stuff like that. Walker and Bucky catch uh, the others, the other uh, flag smashers, whatever, by using their phone app. And there's like there are a bunch of guards are like waiting for them to, to take them in. And I think Sam's like, this is a nice app. I like this or whatever, because it told them like where they were and all this stuff. Carly and Sam are still fighting. And then uh, she's yelling at, at him to like fight back or whatever. And he's down and she picks up the gun and she like points it at, at him and she's going to about to shoot him. But there's like a little hesitation, whatever. So she's like, what's Sam going to do? He doesn't have a shield. He can't do anything. But then Sharon shoots Carly, even though, you know, she still has her gut wound, whatever. But then Sam goes to Carly. There's like some tears and then she dies. So Sharon killed her maybe to protect her secret that you know she's a power broker uh, so sam is like carrying her body he flies down the street they put carly on a stretcher but it's like wait she's dead though right a reporter um asks you know you can hear is like did the government make you captain america and stuff like that he talks to the grc people and he's like goes through this whole spiel he's like you know he's like you have to stop calling them terrorists he's like your peacekeeping troops carry weapons are forcing millions of people into settlements around the world Right, he's like, and what do you think those people are going to call you? He's like, these labels, terrorist, refugee, thug, they're often used to get you know around a question of why. So you know, news and the news cameras are 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 recording all this stuff, and you know, he's like, you know, you you guys were helpless. He's like, you know, how does that feel? And he's like, you know, you're about to have the exact same impact if you you know go through the vote. And then he's just goes on. He's like, you know, I'm a black man carrying the stars and stripe. He's like, every time I pick up the shield, I know there's going to be millions of people who hate me for it. And, you know, Walker's like, you know, he's even listening, whatever. And he's like, you know, even now I feel it. I, the stare is a judgment. He's like, yet yeah, I'm still here. No super soldier serum, no blonde hair or blue eyes. The only power I have is, is that I believe we can do better. 
And he's like, he says something like, you can feed a million people with a phone call. He's like, this girl died trying to stop you. No one took a second to qu ask why. He's like, people believed in her cause so much, they helped her divide the strongest government in the world. And he's like, why do you think that is? So he just you know goes through this whole thing. And then uh, he walks over to Bucky and Bucky's like, he's like, oh, I was texting and I didn't quite hear, you know, your whole thing or whatever. And but then he's like, you know, good job or something like that. They see Sharon, you know, she's shot and, you know, Bucky's like, we need to get you a hospital. And then, you know, they're like, they're about to go. And then she tells Sam, she's like, you know, it looks good on you or whatever. And, you know, then one guy's like, hey, Cap, Captain America or whatever. So he's like, we have eyes on, on the last flag smasher that fell into the Hudson. You know, he's like, will you help out? And he's like, of course, whatever. So he flies off to get him. So then we see that the, the crew, they're in cuffs and they're being transported to the raft. Um, you know, one guard, you know, they, they go into this, this uh, tr the transport truck. But then one of the, the officers that closed the door, he's like, one world, one people. So then as the truck drives off, it blows up. And we see this old dude in the truck blew it up. So I believe it was Zemo's butler or something like that. So Zemo, even though Zemo's at the raft, which you, I guess he wouldn't want them at the raft if he's at the raft. But so he still has his, uh, his revenge. Because then we see Zemo sitting in his cell at the raft. And he hears the news about the bombing and he just kind of chuckles. Then uh, we see uh, Contessa Allegra de Fontaine. Contessa... Valentina, the you you know who I'm talking. Julia Louise Dreyfus, um, Contessa. She's like with Walker's wife. They're like in the Senate room, whatever. They're talking. She's like, she's like Walker, come on. She's like calling him. She's like, let's go. So he finally comes out and he's wearing the same costume but black. And Contessa, she's like, you know, things are about to get weird. And when they do, she's like, they're not going to need a Captain America. They're going to need a U.S. agent. So he's dressed as U.S. agent now. And she's like, I'll, I'll call. You better pick up the phone or something like that. And then Bucky goes to the old dude's apartment, his friend from the like the first episode. And he's like, he's like, what are you doing here? It's late or whatever. He's like, I have to tell you something about your son. So he goes in. He's like, what, what about my son? He's like, your son was murdered by the Winter Soldier. And he whispers. He's like, and that was me. And then the dude's like, why? And he's like, I didn't have a choice. And then that's all we get at a conversation, which was a little little disappointing because then you know he just walks out and the man doesn't say, so I don't know if they just didn't want to, you know, because, you know, he didn't say I was brainwashed. I was being controlled. You know, he just said I didn't have a choice, but that doesn't really answer the question. Did he say anything more? And the, the thing, okay, this guy just confessed to murdering his son. Is he just going to let it go? Because later, you know, you, you see them again. You know, he, he walks by the restaurant and he sees the old man and, and the, the lady, you know, working behind the counter that he had a date with. So it's just, I don't know. Because uh, so what happens after, you know, the therapist walks in her office, Bucky's therapist, and she finds like a gift bag on, on a couch and Bucky's books inside. There's a note. He says, I finished a book. Thanks for all your help. And then that's when you see him walk by the restaurant. So he finally, I guess, got closure or whatever with all the people that he wronged, which how much time passed? Because you know, it seems like there, there's a lot there. So then uh, Sam goes to the Bradley's house, to uh, uh, Isaiah's house, and you know he talks to him. Um, his grandson, which I'm assuming is Elijah, right? He, you know, he's, he's a little rude to him or whatever. But then uh, Isaiah, he's in the back in his garden. And he's like, I saw what you did out there. And he's like, so did everyone else. 
and he's like, I ain't gonna lie. He's like, you're special. He's like, I mean, you ain't no Malcolm, you know, Martin or, or Mandela, whatever. And then he's like, so black Captain America, huh? And Sam's like, damn right. And Bradley's like, he's like, the fight isn't gonna be easy. He's like, you know, but Sam's like, you know, we built this country, we bled for it. He's like, and I'm not gonna let anyone tell me that I can't fight for it. So then he tells him, he's like, get cleaned up. He's like, there's something I want to show you. So Sam, Isaiah, and uh, I assume Elijah, they they go to the Captain America Museum. They go into this one room, and there's a statue for Isaiah. And he, he's wearing a soldier's uniform, but, you know, his name's, like, on, on the sign, and it's got, like, his little history. And then he's like, now they'll never forget what you did for this country. Never. So then Isaiah shakes his hand and then hugs him. So a very, very touching, sweet moment. And then uh, it kind of cuts to you, like, over by uh, Sam's sister, like on the docks. Bucky's there. Uh, there's food, celebration, all these people, you know, staring off at the sea, like at sunset, whatever. And then Sam puts his, his hand on Bucky's shoulder, or whatever. It fade to black. And then it says, Captain America and the Winter Soldier instead of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So this is where it leads you to believe, like, could we get a season two? And maybe season two, technically it wouldn't be season two since it's Captain America and a Winter Soldier, but it sort of is. But then also with what I mentioned earlier in the news, that there's going to be a Captain America 4. So is Captain America 4 just going to be Sam's story? Are we going to see Walker at all? Or is that like something else? And But the, the thing with this, and there's one, one last bit I want to talk about. The, the thing that was a, a little disappointing... Maybe, okay, let me just finish the last one. There's like an after credit scene. So Sharon's at the Senate um, like committee meeting thing, whatever. They're offering her and her family their sincerest apologies. You know, the, the Carter name was always synonymous with service and trust. So they want to offer her a full pardon. And then they're like, you know, there may be an opening at your old division if, if she's interested. And she's like, that w- it would be my honor. So then they're like, welcome home, Agent Carter. And then she like walks out. And as she's walking out, she kind of has this like sly little smile on her face. So she goes outside and she calls someone and she's like, line up our buyers. She's like, super soldiers may be off the market, but we're about to have full access to government secrets, prototype weapons, you name it. And she's like, there should be something for everyone. So Sharon is shady Sharon, which I don't, I don't get it. I don't like it. I, it just seems weird. And even being disillusioned a little bit because she helped Cap and what it just seems like. So now she's just going to totally betray her her country. I don't know. We'll see. Unless maybe Sharon's really a scroll, but that doesn't really make sense. So because the other thing with Sharon, it's like why does she tell Bucky and Sam about that Doctor Nagel guy or whatever that was making a super? So basically, because she told him where Doctor Nagel was, that allowed Zemo to kill him. And destroyed a super soldier serum, so then she can't sell any more super soldier serum. That makes absolutely no sense. You know why would she be helping so much, unless it was just for all of this uh, to get in the good graces with the government that she's helping out, and then she can get access to other things. Maybe that I guess that would make a little more sense. So I don't know. But anyways, what what I was saying before, the the thing that was a little disappointing is Bucky felt like he was just kind of shoved aside you know it's falcon and a winter soldier but it almost felt like bucky was like just a sidekick you know we we had a little bit of development you know with bucky getting closure and stuff like that but there it just with this last episode I don't, and things just kind of 
wrapped up a little quickly. And maybe it's because of the pandemic and, you know, having to halt production and then trying to finish it up and, you know, the show getting delayed. So maybe they're just like, okay, we need to get things going. But it kind of felt like things moved a little quickly towards the end. So I don't know if if that's the reasons why, but it was just... It was, it was kind of unfortunate. I mean, overall, I, I did like it. This last episode was good. You know, there's there's a lot of cool moments, but it wasn't quite as exciting as like some of the other things that we saw. So I don't know, but you know, I'm I'm not complaining, whatever. You know, because you know, pretty much overall, we can say you know it, it was it was good. So that's it. No more Marvel shows. No more me having to stay up till like one a.m. when I have to work the next day. Because now we have to wait till June 11th for for Loki, so that, that's unfortunate. But it's been good, and uh, I, I I did enjoy. You know, I I, I love these characters, so it was really great seeing them. And I don't know how I feel about Captain America four because again, it feels like it would be like we get more if it's a a series versus if it's just a movie. You know, it's it's almost like we're being spoiled now by the the series because you know we just get so much. But I guess with the movie, you know, you can do a bigger budget and, you know, who knows what else you can do. And we'll have to see. But I'm sure they have it all figured out because they know what they're doing. So it, that's been been interesting and everything. So can't wait for more. All right. Let's talk about the rest of the episodes for them, the Amazon Prime series. And, man, this 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 was a heavy series, again, because there's a a lot of just the racism and the hatred and everything from the, from the fifties. And, you know, I can't speak for what it was like and how accurate is this? I'm assuming it's pretty accurate. I mean, I, I, again, like I said, I, I can't, I wasn't around, so I, I, I just can't imagine just the mentality. Um, it's, it's mind baffling. And the scary thing is that, you know, there's, there's still a lot of people that feel the same way that feel that, they are better or above or other people are are lesser. And I just, I don't understand the whole thing that because of the color of someone's skin, you know, they're, they're thinking one thing or another. And, and, you know, you can't even, you know, lay claim, you know, you can't associate, make stereotypes and, and do stuff. You know, it's, I'm trying to think of a, a good example, like, uh, <laughs> let's say dark side is a horrible person in the comic books. So does that mean, I guess it does mean everyone from apocalypse pretty much. Is that racism? I I don't know. So you, you get what I'm saying. It's like, you know, you have bad apples. doesn't matter. I mean, how many white folk are doing horrible things? You know, so you can't just say that, Oh, the black people do this or the Latin X people do this or, you know, what you can't, can't do that. Everyone is human and it doesn't matter. I, I, I'm not trying to preach or anything. This was supposed to be a, a fun, silly podcast, right? But it's, it's just so heavy. And because of that, it's like, you know, like I said before, I don't think I could have watched like all 10 episodes at once. Well, first of all, 10 episodes is a lot to binge, at least for me. You know, it's 10 like hour, because I think they were like an hour-ish. Well, so one, some were a little shorter, 45 minutes, 40 minutes, 30-ish, 30, whatever. Anyways, let's just move on. So with episode seven, so we're at seven, day seven night, um, Henry 
it cuts back a little bit. We uh, we see Henry knocking out the dude on the sidewalk that caught him like outside his boss's house. So he walks into the house through like a patio door, and throughout this whole scene, I'm like, Henry, what are you doing? What are, what are, what's going on in your mind? It's like, what is he going to do to his boss? So he he goes, he helps himself to some of his boss's liquor. He he goes upstairs and he has his gun in his hand. He has his gun out, and then he hears a lady on his phone. So I'm assuming it's like the boss's wife. She doesn't like see or hear him because I think the the record player is on like downstairs and she has like her back to like the doorway. So he he just like casually walks on the hall. You know she could get up at any time and he goes to into the bathroom and I think he actually like like urinates in in the toilet or whatever. At the whole time, you know, he leaves the door open. Like she could easily just like walk walk down the hall and then scream. And it's like, what's he gonna do? You know, is he gonna kill her? And you know, she call the police or you know what's gonna happen? Uh, and then uh, as he walks, you know, walks out, she goes down the stairs and she still doesn't hear him. And then he like slowly like goes down after her. Then it cuts to Betty. So she ended up going to, you know, so the last episode, she's like, I need that favor now. You know, she, who's, who's she calling? She called uh, George the Milkman. So she, she's at his farm because he said that he was a man who could do things because she's like, you know, I, I need something done. She's like, I want them gun and I want them gone. And she mentions, you know, that she, like, she struck me or whatever. And, you know, he finally says he's like, he, he, he knows how to, to deal with this. So then we see Lucky and Gracie are packing a suitcase so that you're in the house. And then the sergeant, uh, Bull uh, Wheatley, the, who we thought was a nice cop, it's like the, it's involved with this real terse scam thing, whatever. So he's uh, he shows up at Betty's with a couple, you know, the other husbands, uh, Earl and Marty are there and, you know, at, at Clark's. And um, what was it, dude? Uh, I think it was Marty. He thinks that they did something to her. And Wheatley's, he's like, he's like, I couldn't help but notice, you know, the, the burned writing in the lawn across the street. He's like, you couldn't have been involved with that, right? Everything's spelled correctly. And, you know, so then the, the two guys finally leave or whatever, you know, they're, they're complaining and stuff like that. So when Clark's there alone, Wheatley, he's like, oh, you know, a couple of men saw you at the wrong place, or whatever. He's like, yeah, you know, from the outside, those bars look the same. So what I think they're trying to tell us here that maybe this was like a gay bar and that they saw Clark out there. So is Clark gay? And, you know, maybe he's in dial and maybe Betty doesn't know that. But then, you know, he, he mentions that because, you know, Betty's keys and purse are gone that, you know, she probably left on her own. So he's like not too concerned about, you know, like a manhunt or knocking down to the Emery's doors and, you know, demanding what happened to her. So then we uh, see Betty took a rest on a couch, you know, because she was tired. George is uh, getting some rope and stuff ready. And she's like, oh, you're doing it now. She's like, I wanted to be there. And it turns out she's like a little drunk because she's been drinking out of his flask. And, you know, so that's, she probably passed out on the couch or whatever instead of taking a nap. And then we see Hazel is at, and at the Emery's house. So uh, Henry's Aunt Hazel. So like, okay, she's over there, and she tries calming Lucky down, and, and you know she pulls down a picture of her and Chester, and you know she's talking about Chester, the baby. You know, she, I guess she never got to meet him or whatever, and she just kind of talks about it. Gets Lucky to, to kind of cry out her feelings because you know Lucky's just been like kind of keeping it in. Then we see Henry's at a diner having coffee with the tap dance man so obviously he's not really having coffee with him so he's must be sitting in a booth alone and you know they're talking about the old days and so the tap dance man's talking about like working in the fields cutting tobacco and then he, he mentions like eating peaches that there was like a, a bunch of um just like the ones that fell off the tree that were like kind of rotten on the ground so it's not like they picked them or anything but then the boss man got mad 
and because he saw a bunch of like he's like, like where'd all these peach pits come from whatever and you know they they mentioned that like oh you know we didn't we didn't pick them or anything and they're like that so they're like well how many did you bring so he holds his fingers out well, you know however many and then apparently the boss man chopped off his fingers and then henry's he's like he's like well i would have done something or whatever and the tap dance man he's like i don't believe you and he mentions you know being at the wrong place at the wrong time or whatever and you know he's like where were you when the white folk came for miss lucky and and your baby and then it cuts to hazel and lucky so they're praying gracie comes in out of the bedroom she's like what are you doing and and lucky's like we're praying and she's like who mama and then the camera kind of pans around lucky and you see like hazel is there but then like half of her face is now like kind of like melted or whatever so like what does this mean does this mean that hazel was never there or she's not there now is she dead is something so i'm a little confused about that part maybe i'm just like missing something so anyways uh henry um he's in his car driving now uh, the Sergeant Wheatley, he's following him. It, it looks like he's following him. Doris and Ruby are like in a supply closet at the school. So she's still at the school. Doris is like, you know, you were incredible at the, the, the cheerleader tryouts. She puts more lipstick on her. And she's like, you know, I'm so proud of you. And she asks Ruby, like, you know, what do you want? And then she says, she's like, I want it off me. She's like, mama, all of them. She's like, I don't want to be like them anymore. She's like, I don't want to be ugly anymore. She's like, I want to be beautiful, Doris, perfect like you. So Doris kisses her on the cheek, and then they do a little smooch on, on the lips. And Doris tells her to open her, you know, because she, she has her eyes closed. She's like, open your eyes and look. And then she looks down at her hands, and her hands are white. Then she gets up, and she looks in the mirror, and her eyes are, like, blue. And then, like, Doris is gone, and then her hands are, like, back to normal. So she's still in, the, like, the supply closet or whatever, and, and she looks at the shelf, and there's, like, a, a can of white paint. So she takes it off the shelf, like sticks her hand in it and just kind of like like looking at, at her hand. Then it kind of cuts to like outside, there's like a bonfire, there's like you know, a bunch of students and stuff like that. And then they're all like, just like looking kind of surprised. Ruby walks up, completely covered in white paint and they're staring and then she just starts like cheering and everyone looks like they're kind of shocked and almost looks like they're kind of, they almost look like they're kind of sad. You know, you would think with the, the cruelty of the school and her, her students or classmates or whatever, that they would, like, think it's funny or something like that. But they were just all kind of, like, they didn't know what to say. So Lucky uh, talks more to Gracie. Now they're in the basement. And Gracie's like, who are you talking to upstairs? And Lucky, she goes into the dark corner of the basement. And then she comes back and she has an axe. And she's like, I need to save you, baby. And, and then she, like, raises the axe up, like, chest level. And then we see that black hat man dude is is there. So Gracie tries going up the stairs, and she's uh, lucky. Asks her, she's like, "Do you miss your baby brother?" She's like, "Do you want to play with him?" And Gracie starts calling. She's like, "I'll be good," you know, because she thinks she's in trouble because she's messed up with the pledge of allegiance. And then the black hat man, he's like, "Do it!" And she so she swings down the axe and she chops like one of the, the steps of the stairs. And then then all of a sudden, Lucky like snaps out of it. She's like, "I'm sorry." She's like, "I wouldn't hurt you." And Gracie's like, "But you tried to." And then Lucky's like, it wasn't me, it was Miss Vera. And Gracie's like, it was? And Lucky's like, like she was, you know, she was right next to you and I chopped her head off. And then Ruby comes home and she's at the top of the stairs. She's like, Mama, she's like, I think there's something wrong with me. So it's like, yeah, you're covered in white paint. But I guess, you know, she realized that something made her do that. You know, she didn't realize it. So then we see Henry talking to Wheatley. Uh, cause he like pulled him over. He stopped her or something. 
And then he Wheatley asked him if he saw anything funny at the Wendell house because, you know, Betty's missing. And Henry's like, he's like, I, I hope the bitch is okay. And he's like, I, I beg your pardon? He's like, oh, I, I said, I hope everything is okay. And, you know, he's like, I, I did notice some weird things. And, but, you know, I try not to get another folks business. He's like, you know, I don't want to spread rumors because, you know, they already have it out for me. And, but then Wheatley's like, well, imagine it was your wife. He's like, you know, maybe, maybe I should go talk to her. And then Henry shoots him. And then, you know, he just like falls back on, on the, on the street. He's like, I told you bad things happen. And then he like looks at me and then he shoots him again and he drives off. So it's like, what, what the heck Henry? I mean, for all intents purpose, Henry has no idea that Wheatley is up to something that he's not the nice. I mean, cause he's always been on their side and everything. So it's just crazy that he just, he just killed, he just murdered a, a police officer. So then, uh, um, we see Marty, the neighbor, he has a gun and he and Earl want to go over to em to Emery's, but Clark's like, his car's not even there. And we see lucky, you know, she's trying to, you know, wipe the paint off, uh, for Ruby You know, Ruby's like, I'm sorry. And everything lucky's like, you know, it wasn't you, it's this place. And then Henry walks in, he's like, we have to leave. So, you know, they're about to get in the car and everything. And then Henry goes back inside to, you know, get the rest of the bags and everything. And he sees the Chester box. So the, the guys across the street at Clark's, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of like arguing or whatever and stuff like that. And, you know, Clark doesn't want to go over there. He's like, well, look, you know, it looks like they're, they're leaving for somewhere. And then inside the house, Henry opens up the box and there's a blanket in there. But there's something in the blanket. So then uh, across, you know, Marty opens up uh, holds up the gun and he yells for henry to, to come out and we see henry's like he comes out he's like crying and because chester's bones were in the blanket and he asks lucky he's like why and she's like i couldn't leave him and we see a flashback of her like at the gravesite digging him up and she whispers she's like my boy so that was the end of episode seven episode nine so now it's it's day nine because episode seven was day seven night so we're skipping a whole day, like a day and a half or something like that. And um, Lucky's like in a sanitarium or, or something like that. So she got locked up. So I don't know who called her, who took her there, but she like wants to see her family. And apparently she hasn't been eating since. So, but it's only been like a, a day, you know, at most a day, day and a half. Henry is told, you know, he's he's there, but, you know, like with the doctor's office, he's told that she has a medical condition uh, and it's something's wrong with her because she took her son. So the lady doctor won't let him talk to her. But he wants to know, he wants Lucky to know that he came, that he's not mad, that, you know, and he's like, what, you can just keep her as long as you want? And the doctor's like, we keep her as long as she needs. And, you know, but he's like, well, what kind of treatment is she getting? But she won't really say. She's like, it's it's mostly, you know, I just listen. So, again, it's it's been like less than two days or whatever. So Betty is still at George's, surprisingly, all this time. He brings her tea, but she doesn't take it. And then, um, so she's just sitting there and he points out, he's like, oh, look at the wallpaper. You know, he's like, it took a while. So he, he basically got the same wallpaper that she had, that she just ripped down. And he got dresses for her. He's like, oh, I had to guess your side and everything. And then we see her, she kind of rubs her wrist and they're, they're like all marked up. He like, so he apologizes for having to tie her up. So it's like, it's like, wait, did we, we miss a whole episode? It's like a lot happened this day. And, you know, he's like, I'm ready when you're ready. And then he climbs up a ladder. So he has her locked up in like a bunker and he like decorated it. So, you know, like made it look like her place and got her clothes and everything like that. So now Marty's wife, she's talking, you know, she wants to move. Um, Earl, you know, they're, they're arguing in the, in the garage. Earl barges in 
uh, there's a newspaper that says Wheatley was shot, and there's like a suspected gang attack or something like that. Lucky is walking down the hall, and Mrs. Beaumont, the other lady that was locked up there, she's there. Lucky tells her, she says that uh, the hat man spoke to her or something like that, and he told Lucky that he could command her. So then an orderly comes in, and he, you know he seems like he's really nice. He like politely tells her, like you know, you can't be in here and everything. So then Lucky asks, she's like talking as they're going back to her, she asks for just like one phone call to call her family. And he's like, you know, he's like, the lady doctor listens, you know, just make your case. But then, you know, he, he so locks the door, locks her up in her room. It's like, okay. George, uh, he, he has a, a, like a dead chicken. He's going, he goes down to the hatch. Um, then he makes dinner. There's wine and candles. He tells her she looks lovely. And, you know, he asks her how her sh- she likes her Chablis. For, you know, you got some Chablis from France or whatever. And she's like, oh, you know, I, I usually take it with a few ice cubes. But it's, it's fine and everything. He gets up. He's like, oh, I should have known this or everything. You know, it's like, this is your home. You know, I should have thought about things like that. So he, he goes back up the ladder. Henry um, comes home. Gracie's like, she says she's scared. And Henry's like, you know, he's like, we're just getting a couple things and we're going to leave. We're going to go back to Aunt Hazel's or something like that. So the girls, he, he tells them to go get a few more things. And Henry sees a paper. And then uh, from behind, Marty's there, whap, hits him with the baseball bat. So George comes back to the bunker. He has an ice cube. And she says, you know, if we're fated to be together, you know, keeping me locked beneath the earth isn't really a way to live. And she's like, you know, maybe I can come up and live with you at the house. And, you know, if it's real love, there's nothing to worry about. And, you know, she takes his dishes, whatever, you know, because there's like a sink down there too. Then he asks her, she's like, do you want more wine? But then, you know, where the corkscrew was, it's not there. So she has it in her hand. She jabs it in his neck. And then he's like, I'm sorry you feel this way. And he just like painfully pulls it out. He's like, the, the course of true love never ran smooth. He's like, I'm willing to wait and see, you know, if, if you really do love me. And then he climbs up and closes the hatch. But it's like, I would think that his neck would be like gushing blood or something like that. <laughs> I mean, it's just like a jab. I mean, yeah, maybe it was like, you know, two inches or something like that. But uh. so then Earl and, and Marty, so they have Henry tied to a chair. Marty's holding Gracie with a gun to her head. And then they, they want to know what he did with Betty. So it's like not even their their wife. You know, Clark's like not, you know, concerned about this or whatever. So, you know, he tries, Henry tries to explain it. He never spoke to Betty. Uh, Marty goes uh, up to Ruby and asks, he's like, how old are you? And she's like, 14. Then Earl drags Gracie to the basement. And then he tells Earl to take Ruby in the kitchen to cook them something to eat. And Marty, he's like looking around. He's like, you a doctor or something? And then he, he's like, no, I'm an engineer. He's like, and then he mentions, you know, his wife is crazy because, you know, everyone knows that she killed her baby. And Henry's like, oh, you want to know what happened? He's like, some peckerwood mofos killed our child. He's like, that's what happened. And Marty's sitting there. He's like, he's got his clenched fist. Like, he's he's about to clench fist. His fist clenched. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> he has his fist clenched. Like, he's about to, to hit him or something like that. And uh, But then, you know, he, he doesn't really, he's not, like, sure what to do. Then he's like, okay, Buck. And he keeps calling him Buck or whatever. So then um, Lucky's talking to the doctor. You know, she wants to see her family. And the doctor's like, they won't see you. They're, they're, they're frightened of you, which is a big lie. And she's like, I spoke to them. And Lucky starts yelling. She's like, it was a, a white bitch like you who killed our baby. And, then, you know, she's just like going off. And then she gets dragged away. And, and the doctor's like, you know, I hope you weren't this far gone. So then we see Marty and Earl are eating. You know, uh, they made Ruby make him a chicken that was in the fridge or whatever. 
And Henry tries talking to Marty. He's like, he's like, you know, you're a father. You know, I get it. You're trying to protect your family. And we see that the tap dance man is like sitting in a corner, like kind of like just, you know, like not really in a ball, but he's just sitting on the floor with his knees up to his chest, like not doing anything or saying anything. So um, then Marty, he, he grabbed a bunch of knives and stuff out of the kitchen when Ruby was cooking and they're like sitting on top of the TV. So he's looking at all these like sharp objects. Um, and then he grabs them like kind of like big scissors or something like that. And Marty tells him to open his hands. And he's like, no, no, come on. And he, so, you know, then he threatens uh, Ruby, I think, or something like that. So he puts a blade over his pinky. And then he's like, where is she or something like that? And he's like, I don't know. And he cuts. So I don't know if he chopped it off, but it, I think he did. And he just like screams. And the tap dance man's like, ah, it's like laughing or whatever. And he's like, I don't know. So then they take him down to the basement and they get like a rope and they're going to hang him while the girls watch. And, you know, so they're like trying to like start ho hoisting him up and everything. Gracie gets up, like bites Earl on the leg. But, you know, they just like kind of shove her back. Lucky um, suddenly wakes up and she's strapped to her bed. The orderly's there is like shushing her and everything. And, you know, he tells her just to get some rest. And, you know, he says that the lady doc says she's, you know, so far gone. And, you know, it's better if she just sleeps through the whole thing. And his voice is getting lower. You know, it's like changing. And then he turns into the black hat man, which is Reverend Epps is his name, according to the, the closed caption. And um, then he talks a bit or whatever, and she just like screams. So then episode nine, Covenant two. So Covenant one, I think it was episode five or something like that, where we get like a lot of the backstory. So that happens again with Covenant two. It's black and white. Um, I don't under, I don't know how I feel about this episode. It kind of reminds me a little bit of like, I think it was episode eight of Twin Peaks to Return, where we had that black and white episode and it was just like really weird and it was just kind of freaky and heavy and everything. So I almost feel like that's what this is kind of, trying to be like not i'm not trying to say they're trying to copy david lynch or anything but it just kind of felt weird so this is really the story of the, the black hat man of reverend epps so um we see reverend epps he's like by your grace we survive he's like out in the desert talking about all this stuff and it's like he's praying or something like that and you know he's talking about how he lost his son and his wife or something like that and he asks the lord he's like you know why'd you take my son and he's like you know just please answer me this one time but then it's like wait a minute so then we see, you know, his kids, his kid's name is Miles and he's out on a, on a hillside and some travelers are coming, you know, they're, they're just going down the desert, or whatever. And a wagon wheel breaks off. So he runs and tells his dad, the reverend, he's like, he's like, there's so, some, what do you say? Vis, not visitors. Someone's here. I forgot what he said. So it's a black couple. We see that, that, you know, she's pregnant. Um, their names are, are Grafton and Martha so they shake hands and the reverend's like really super nice and everything like that. They're headed to grass Valley, which is North of San Sacramento. And he welcomes them to take refuge in her community. And he's like, you know, we'll, we'll help try to salvage your wagon. So it's like really weird. Um, as you're watching this, it, it, it almost felt like a twilight zone episode. Like the, even like the cutaways seemed a little different where it's just kind of like one scene fades to the other. And you, you know, like the scene still, still going on or whatever, but it, it really felt like, um, just like kind of not really cold and bare like some of the Twilight Zone episodes. Are. But anyways, I'm not going to get into that. Uh, so the, the community isn't like super pleased with the guests. And it's weird because like they're sleeping in this like building or barn or something like that. It's not really a barn. But it's almost like they're like outside and, and like watching from the windows when they sleep or something like that. I don't know if they're just fascinated with them or something like that. So then he, he prays some more. 
And, you know, he, he says something he has to see past his own revulsion and see with his heart. So I don't know if he's struggling, if they're all racist and he's just trying to accept it or whatever. Grafton tries talking to Epps and the others and you know, he's like, you know, sorry to interrupt or whatever. He's like, you know, I'm wondering if our wagon wheel has been repaired. And he's like, you know, we've been taking your hospitality for a week now. And, you know, we just we want to at least you know contribute or something like that. So it turns out the town folk are getting a little fed up with Epps, and you know he's been saying that you know God talks back to him, and you know they they don't really believe him, or whatever. So guy asks Grafton to settle an argument. So it's been really dry there for a month, and they've been digging, and you know where there should be water, and there's nothing. So Grafton kind of you know bends down and he's like checks the soil and everything like that. And he's like probably just you know a few more feet, and then they just kind of like chuckle over this. We see Martha. She's like so doing some sewing with a bunch of ladies in a room, and and you know they're they're they seem like they're kind of being nice and everything like that. And they ask her like you know how'd you learn to sew so quickly? And she's like my mother. And then a lady's like you know what language did you speak? And she's like uh, English. And you know she's like. Well, no, they're like, but before that, or whatever, she's like, well, you know, we've been here for so long. It's like, you know, we're just Americans now. And then they kind of laugh at her. And, you know, they ask, like, you know, since she's pregnant, they're like, you know, how will your baby come out? You know, will it come out differently? Will you, will it be, you be standing like a pony? You know, will it just get up and walk away? And they're just like laughing at her. And she's just sitting there. It's like, that's like crossing a line. And it's just like, man, we got to get out of there. So Grafton's like down in the hole digging a little bit more. He finds some water. So they have a town meeting and they think that Grafton set it up or something like that, or they're using some black magic, which doesn't make any sense. Epps, uh, then later, he's staring at them again while they're sleeping. And it's almost like, did he see a vision? Because then it's like there's someone standing there. And I don't know if it's Martha standing, like watching him, but she's still sleeping, whatever. So then we see the Reverend walking and then he realizes his cross fell off and he's like calling out the miles. But it's like, is it that Miles isn't really there? So then um, then Martha's like all suddenly like in front of him and she's like, she has a cross. She's like, I, I think you dropped this. So he grabs it from her and you know, then then he is he's like, look, he starts like yelling and stuff like that. She keeps kind of like changing into like some sort of demon or something, and he's just like yelling. And, you know, then she finally says, she's like, well, you're not keeping your promise to fix our wagon. And she's like, you know, if you want us to leave, then, you know, you got to, you know, go through with that. And he's like, you're making demands. And he grabs her wrist and he's like, I don't see a gold band. He's like, you're not married or whatever. He's like, just like kind of insulting her. And she slaps him and he twists her arm some more. And then she like kind of, you know, bends down more. And then her water breaks. So they, they town folk come up, you know, after she slapped and whatever. So they, they take her to a barn and then um, she's left there. But then Miles sets her, you know, he opens up the door and frees her. So then uh, Martha and Grafton, are, they take their horse and they're trying to leave. But then they get put on trial for stealing a horse, even though it was their horse. And Martha, I think she's like still in labor because she's just like, in, like bending over in pain. So then what they do they take a, like a poker and they heat it up. So it's like burning bright. And Epps is like, the Lord afflicts you with blindness. So they stab them. They stab their eyes. They stab Grafton's eyes. And then they do the same thing to Martha because then their eyes are like all puffed up and just like burnt out. So Epps is going on and on. And and there's just like this weird kind of creepy, um, kind of like, you know, like the when you take a, like a metal saw and a woo, 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 you know, whatever. 
<laughs> that noise, however, it makes. Uh, then you know Martha stands up and screams, and then she curses them. You know she can't see anything, but she's cursing all the people, and she calls Epps a white devil. And then suddenly his Bible catches on fire. I was like, wait, what's going on now? So then he throws it at, at her, and then town folk all like gather on them, and then they hang them up, and they're they're lit on fire. And the town folks, they're all like smiles, you know, watching them hanging and burning. But then somehow all the other buildings are burning as well. Like the whole town is burning. So then like later next day or morning, whatever, everyone's dead. You know, all the buildings are burnt out, whatever. Miles brings uh, the reverend down below the building. And, you know, then he's like, you know, I've obeyed everything. And Miles is like, this is not the end, my most faithful servant. And then he's like starting to change. He's like, I'm the one you worshiped in your heart. And he's like, where are you? He's like, I've answered when, you know, he remains silent. He's like, they destroy everything they touch. You must destroy them first. So it's not Miles in the shadow. It's like, you know, it's his his voice, but there's like someone else there. And then it changes back to Miles. He's like, take my hand and our covenant is sealed. So then you see like, a, it's not Miles' hand. It's like this creepy hand reaches out. Epps takes it. And then a fiery beam falls on him. The next day, you see like the smoky remains of the town, and and then it changes the color, and then it's like modern day Compton. So all this apparently happened in Compton back in the day. <laughs> After the last episode, one ten, day ten. This is the last day. This is the last episode. So Betty's sitting in a bunker. Um, she decides to go up the ladder, and surprisingly, it's not locked. So she climbs out. And, you know, she kind of looks around. And she starts running away from the house. And she's got this big smile on her face. All of a sudden, and then she falls. So we see George is standing on the balcony. He has a rifle with a scope. So I guess he was just sitting there waiting to see. He's like, okay, I'll leave it unlocked. Is she going to try to run away or is she going to, you know, come to the house? She ran away. So he decided to shoot her. And the thing is, like, no one's going to know what happened. No one would have any idea what happened to Betty unless they, they find her car somehow because they don't know that she went there. And, uh, yeah, so that's going to be, like, the big mystery. Um, Emery's, uh, he's, he's um, driving, whatever, in a car. The whole town is, like, standing out holding signs, like, keep Compton white. Um, and then we, and this way, wait. You see, like, the realtor in a car or something like that. And, we, and then we see Betty with her husband standing amongst the people. So I think Lucky was just dreaming at this point. So she's still strapped to the bed. And an orderly is about to inject her with something. And, it, you know, because the doctor says she needs to be prepped for, I don't know what they're going to do, some sort of procedure to her. And I'm not really sure because before he said that, you know, it's better if she sleeps through it or something. I don't know. Um, probably, like, I'm assuming maybe a lobotomy. I don't know. But then uh, he's like, there's great freedom in this gift that you're receiving. And Lucky asks the orderly, she's like, can I go to the bathroom so I don't mess myself? And then he's like, okay. So she kind of like stumbles. You know, she gets up and she like falls and he kind of catches her. But as she like kind of stumbles forward, she grabs a syringe off the little table thing and she jabs him in the neck. Then um, back at the Emery's in the basement, so this is in really with the Emery's, um, Ruby whacks Earl in the back of the head. Ruby whacks Earl in the back with the axe, like whoosh, right in the back. The rope falls and, and Henry falls. And then she she looks at, at Marty and, you know, he he looks at uh, like a, a knife and she says, she's like, I wish you would. And then Marty runs upstairs because, you know, the knife was just like sitting on the floor or whatever. So he goes up um, 
then Henry, he goes, goes up after him, whatever, and you hear like some shooting or something like that. And he's like shooting, and he's like out in the street shooting. And he finally, it's like he doesn't hit him, but then he finally shoots him in the knees. And then neighbors come out, and then Henry like kicks him. He's like, Who's your buck now? And then he hits him with like the gun. He hits him again. And Marty's wife comes out screaming, and she's like, I'm going to call the police. And he's like, Do it. And your man gets a bullet to the head. And then she calls him. She's like, Dirty N word. And then the tap dance man pops out behind her laughing and he's like, want to know what it's like to lose a child? And, you know, there's, there's lots of flashes of like all the things that have happened and everything. And then Ruby yells like, daddy. And he tells her, he's like, take your sister to room. And Gracie doesn't want to, uh, so she goes there. But Gracie doesn't want to be alone because Miss Vera. And Ruby's like, she's not real. She's like, you know, you have to stay here or whatever. She's like, just close your eyes until I come back. So Henry goes back in the house and, you know, but then the door like shuts and locks before, you know, he can go in there. Ruby's hearing the cheerleaders. Gracie hears like some kids saying the Pledge of Allegiance, like from her closet. So Ruby's in the bathroom. She like opens the shower curtain. There's like nothing there. But then the bathroom door closes. Gracie, she goes by the closet and gets something like grabs her, like reaches out and grabs her. And so now um, Ruby's in the school bathroom. And Doris comes out of a stall. Henry uh, gets in through like a back door, but then it almost looks like the hall is the hallway is longer. He's calling out to the to the girls, and then there's stairs at the end of the hall. The stairs that are going up, and it's like a movie theater. So he's like now in a balcony. The tap dance man is there, and again, it's duh. It's I know the way I talk. It's his name is D A Tap Dance Man. Duh tap dance man so it's not me i'm not saying the tap dance man <laughs> I, I know i i used to say duh for duh um so there's like blackface singers on the screen and then he asks he's like where are my girls or whatever he's like you want to see them all you've got to do is look with your own two eyes <laughs> and they're sitting there in a the balcony with with like like wait who are they sitting with lucky is walking through the halls and she sees, uh, she goes past the room. She sees the lady, lady doctor is about to do something. To, I think it was Mrs. Beaumont. So she goes in through another door. She comes behind her, slams her head against the sink and against the wall a couple times. <laughs> and everything that then, uh, then against the window, like in, where we're watching. And then she goes, uh, I, I think she, I don't know if she, she might have let Mrs. Beaumont go, but then she, she's going to leave. So she's out by the front, but there's a security guard there. Um, he's he's a, a black guy and he's just like reading. He just looks at her. And he just looks back down at like the magazine, whatever he's reading, like whatever. And then she just walks out. So Henry, so who's with the girls? It's Henry with the girls. So it's back to that day when Chester was killed. Uh, he wanted to get there early because he wanted to get, he didn't want to miss out on a popcorn or, or something. There's something there he wanted to, to get. So that's why they left early. Um, then uh, we see half, so Doris is in the bathroom. Half of her head is kind of like gruesome. And she says it's too late for Ruby. She's like, you're ready, just like your mom. And then Ruby walks up to her with the axe, but then she looks in a mirror, and she's her reflection is is her mom is lucky with the axe. So neighborhood people are yelling. Clark yells at, at Marty, and he's like, you know, he's like, what were you guys doing in Emery's basement? And he's like, we were just protecting, you know, ours. And then he points a rifle at Clark, and he's like, He's, he's like, I wouldn't waste a bullet on a traitor. And he, he calls him a faggot. So then Clark walks up to him and just like stomps on his leg, like snaps it in half. And he stomps on it again and he spits and he just like storms off. 
So he gets in his car and he goes to leave. So Clark is just like, whatever. So again, I think Clark was gay. It wasn't, was it obvious? Maybe it was, I just missed it. But so he's, he's just going to leave there. He's like, I'm out of here, whatever. But then as he goes to pull away from, you know, all the people standing out there, Lucky's in the road, just like staring at him. And it's like, okay, well, what's going to happen? But then she just like walks around the car and he just keeps going. So the people see her and they start yelling at her. Like they call her an animal. And like, you don't belong here. Go back where you came from. And then she screams at them. And she's like, ah, and they just like shut up. So then she goes into her house and so, and somehow a wall of flames goes up by like the, in the, the front yard by the sidewalk. So it's like, what's going on? Where's this coming from? Gracie, so what happened to Gracie when she got pulled in a closet? She's like in a classroom. She's sitting in a desk with, you know, I guess Miss Vera's in a, in a classroom. Lucky is looking for the girls and she hears Miss Vera kind of like uh, hitting Gracie with a ruler or something like that. You hear whack, whack. And she, she goes into the closet, into the bedroom. She's like, not today, bitch. So then Miss Vera comes at her, screeching at her. Gracie runs and you know she runs out through the closet so she's back in her room and she under the bed she's got the miss vera book and she flips through the page where there's a picture of miss vera she rips a page up out of the book and then she starts like tearing it up and then in the, the other side of the closet when miss vera she's like and she it's like she gets torn apart too ruby is uh still in the bathroom so then somehow doris turns into her mom and she puts a, a bloody bag or a pillowcase over her head and then she grabs Ruby's, like, you know, reach struggling and everything. So she reaches, like, a, a piece of shattered mirror. And Lucky starts calling her. But then she's, like, starts, she's, like, cutting her face. And then uh, Lucky tells her, she's, like, what happened that day? And, you know, with your brother, something that you never needed to know about. And, you know, she's, like, I need you to know that I would never hurt you. And Ruby, like, drops the mirror. And then they all hug. So it's like, I don't know what was happening quite there with the mirror and the cutting. So she got a little little cut on her face, like maybe three inches or, or so. I don't know. Henry's still at the, the theater. So then that day starts playing on the screen. He tries getting up and the tap dance man is like, sit out. So then he's he talks about like protecting his family that you know have to take care of them. And then he, had, he gives him a gun. He's like, there's only one bullet left. And he's like, I don't need a gun. He's like, I'll just use my hands. And he's like, a beast of the field. Rawr. And then Lucky finds him. And, you know, he sees her and snaps out of it. He's like, you know, I should have been there. And she says, you know, you couldn't have known whatever. And he's like, you know, I just want to make it all right. You know, I want to make it right with the job and the house and everything. And she's like, you know, there's two girls here who need you. And, you know, they're like, we got this. So then they kiss. And then the tap dance man starts saying, what you gonna do? What you gonna do? What you gonna do? Like over and over again. Then Henry points a gun to him and shoots him. He flies back against the wall. He gets up uh, and he's like, he's like, you ain't me. He's like, you ain't ever gonna me. And then the tap dance man laughs and then suddenly the, the laughing stops. So Henry reaches into uh, his like jacket and he, he takes, pulls out like a handkerchief or whatever. And he like, kind of wipes the the paint off his face but now the tap dance is he's like a dead white dude because he wasn't white before he just had the black he had the paint on his face so i don't know <laughs> outside there's the fire still like raging by the, the the street the sidewalk whatever people are still standing there three cops are there now with their, their guns drawn and lucky's like no more running so she goes down to the basement henry's like it's not over and then the door closes. And then there's a, a bunch of lanterns down there. And Reverend Epps is there. 
And he's like, why have you come here? She says that, you know, it's not your concern, devil. And he goes on about keeping the community pure. And, you know, her curse follows her. You know, she had a covenant and she failed to protect it. He talks about losing a child. And then you can see there's like a baby crying in a basket on the floor. And she goes to it. She's, so it's like, is that really Chester? And he's like, the gift I offer you was not one I was blessed to receive. Leave your suffering. Out there will only ever be torment to you. Pain, but here with him, be as if new your baby or something like that. So she tells Chester, she's like, I'm right here. She's like over and over. And, she, and then she's thinking back, you know, about everything. And she looks up at Epp. She's like, my boy is gone. She's like, you lost your boy, huh? And she's like, well, that's where our similarity ends, devil. And she tells him, she's like, I see you. And she takes his cross and she drops it. And, then, you know, he thinks back to like the burning and everything. And then he starts kind of panicking and looking on the ground. And you just hear like loud groan or something like that. And he like goes, just goes up in flames. So then it's then on the screen, it's like day 10, which we already know is supposed to be day 10. Henry walks out the front door, then Lucky and the girls, the, the fire's still there, and they just stare at the, at the people and the cops. Fade to black, credits. That's it. So it's like, wait, what? <laughs> what just happened? I don't know. Uh, so other than that ending, the, the ending, and I... I haven't like read like it, are there any write-ups or does anyone have a better idea and I I don't I didn't I don't normally do stuff like that so I I don't really know what all that's supposed to mean and but it, it seems like they they kind of conquered you know they defeated the tap dance man and Reverend Epps so maybe they're free oh Miss Vera so endorse <laughs> it's so it's not really clear uh, unless I'm just totally missing it. I'm not really sure like why were they haunted or you know being followed and, and all this stuff but it seems like they're kind of free of all, all this so there you go and i believe they mentioned that there's going to be like another season but each season is supposed to be like an, a different story i think it's supposed to be like a was it uh american horror story that's what the show is called right so i, I think each one is supposed to be different and it's just gonna be like a different group of people and everything. But that was, that was something. So I just wonder if like race is always going to be an issue with, with this show. Cause you know, why else would it be called them? Um, and I, I, I didn't read further like too much into it, but I think before the show started, there was like some uh, concerns or whatever that I think maybe only one episode or a couple episodes were, were directed by, you know, a, a black director and so some people are saying that, you know, that they, you know, whoever can't really understand this. I don't know. But so it was an interesting show and everything. But, yeah, some definitely some some weird things happening. So that that was something. And and definitely some some hard moments to watch. And just just a thing like, you know, losing a child and with the rape and the, the violence. And and I don't know about, you know, Henry shooting the cop. You know, it's just like, OK, yeah, he was on the take. He was up to some shady stuff, but he didn't really do anything to i don't know he was racist anyway so i don't know it's just it's just bad but that was so that's that's all of, of them so i don't know when more will come okay then with the nevers so uh season one episode two exposure so with this episode i'm trying to think let's see did i like this more or less than the first episode i guess uh i I guess I'm okay with with the show. I, I I can't say that I absolutely love it 
or not. You know, there is kind of like a, a twist at the end. You know, we, we find out a little more. So it's definitely, you know, the curiosity is going. So it's it starts off, we see a couple girls like working at a store, you know, at the counter girls or whatever. And, you know, like they're talking about the touch being everywhere or whatever. And then um, the store manager gives one girl a hard time because her gloves are, are no longer white and they're threadbare. But, you know, she's trying, you know, trying to make ends meet and everything like that. So this lady wants to try in a hat. And, you know, when she goes to hand her the hat, there's kind of like a flicker when she goes to hand a hat to like the manager. And then um, she like doesn't let go of it. She kind of hangs on to it for, for a bit. Like she can't let go of it. And then it's just kind of floating in the air. And then it falls. So people start exclaiming, she's touched, whatever. So I think her name was Elizabetta. Not, not, it doesn't really matter. But then um, as she's running, because then, you know, manager kind of says something, whatever. So as she's running through the store, um, other things start floating as she kind of bumps into them and stuff like that. So um, there's like this huge like stuffed bear. It kind of floats up and it, it crashes out on, on the display case and stuff like that. And when she's like out outside, like around a corner, she has a pamphlet from from the, the orphanage place from Amalia about, you know, going there for help or whatever. So then we see uh, a couple of cops are like busting in houses, like searching for someone. They go to like the orphanage place. The inspector's there. He shows up. He, you know, he says his name is Inspector Mundy from Scotland Yards. And Amalia, you know, she looks at the warrant. Uh, she's like, this is for the orphanage, not the workshop. So, you know, she's keeping them out of there. And, you know, she, she talks about trying to stop the malady and, you know, stuff like that, you know, because I guess they're, they're wondering, is she, are they, they keeping her there? Because, you know, if, if the malady is touched, are they like harboring a killer or whatever? And, you know, he mentions uh, like her leaving her gown behind and she's like, oh, it's just like Cinderella. And she's like, oh, please tell me that you went around, you know, trying to get the other women to try it on or, you know, she's kind of joking about it. And he says that uh, he says something about a witness, and and she's like, "Oh, did he have his his whatever out?" So I think talk about um, that. What's his name? I think what's his name Hugo Swing. Um, so it's a, it's a skeezy dude that was like making out whether with with the actress backstage. So then uh, Inspector asks about Mary, and Amalia says that she thought that he was after Malady, and he you know then he wants to know like what her trick is or whatever. Then Lavina. So Lavina is like uh, Bidlow. She's like the, the old rich lady in the wheelchair. She shows up. She's not that old. But she tells Amalia not to say anything more. And then, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Then the inspector leaves. So then uh, Penance asks if it's like, did they really think that we had the malady here, you know, at the orphanage or whatever? And Amalia, she's like, wants to know who set the police on them. And Lavina says that there is pressure from above. So it might be that Lord Mason dude, the, the old stuffy dude that was at that whatever stuffy meeting and at the opera um then lavina is like she says that you know she's really there for penance that there's a gathering at her place at her her mansion whatever and she said it would be good for the people to, to see a few of the girls do their tricks so they can kind of calm down and not you know be scared of the touched or whatever so then uh the stuffy dude um they're at like what like a drinking smoking club or whatever you, you call those places where just like all the dudes hang out drinking and or whatever just sort of talking about recent events. Hugo Swan's there, the skeezy guy that owns a like the sex club place. And Mason asks him, he's like, "Are you really turning your club into an actual business?" And you know, he's like, "I hear that, you know a few of your charges are touched." And he's like, "Society will not ab- abide by your pandering." And Swan says that horror and fascination go arm in arm, 
And Mason mentions, he's like, your father wouldn't approve. And then, uh, so his father's Alistair Swan. And Hugo's like, my father approved and went off to search, I think he said for his dog or something like that. And then Mason gets like upset and grabs him by like the, the collar or whatever. And like, blah, blah, you know, whatever. And, you know, then they get separated. Amalia and Penance are, you know, looking all over their charge, trying to figure out who should go to the party at Lavina's. Elizabetta, you know, she's like, she runs into her friend at the store and her friend's like, you know, why didn't you tell me whatever, you know, that, you know, she was touched. And then she yells, she's over here. And some cops come and then she has to run. So not, not a very trustworthy friend at the, the Bidlow estate, the big house, whatever. Uh, they're all there. Lavina gives them blue ribbons so the people can comfortably identify them as, as touched. So they, they brought a few people like Primrose, the giant girls there, and Myrtle's there. Myrtle's the one that they got last episode who speaks all the different languages. Um, then this lady arrives at the orphanage. She talked to Amalia. She has a little boy. And Amalia, she gets a future flash of like someone getting hit or something like that. So this lady that came there, she, she says that she's a whore. And she mentions that how men talk during their business transaction and uh now they want to have her killed because you know they're, they're afraid that she knows all their secrets and she knows too much so Malia asked she's like who sent her and she's like you know she's like was it a friend or a client or something like that and she's she'd rather not say who and and then Amalia starts talking and you know she's saying that you know they must think they're stupid they've just been raided and now she's here and she's like you know I don't even know what Mary's powers are or they don't even know what her powers are you know her voice and then she realizes that she's talking too much and then the lady's like yeah my trick doesn't just work on men so apparently when people get worked up they just start to start talking on and on so Amalia decides to take this lady to the police station. I probably should have figured out what her name was, but anyways. So she goes to the inspector's um, office, and she, she, he's like, he says that he hopes this means she has something to say. She slaps him, and then he threatens. He's like, oh, maybe I should just put you in a cell, whatever. And Amalia asks him who was in the, the picture of Mary that he had. Because he showed her a picture of Mary, and it was like folded in half. So then he's like going on, and he like it's, it was a picture of him, and he's like, yeah, yeah, I know her. He's like, we were gonna get married, and he's like talking on and on about stuff like that. And then Amalia finally tells him to stop, and then uh, tells the lady to you know leave to wait outside or whatever. Then Inspector pulls a gun on Amalia, and she's like, put that down. She's like, I'm gonna be finding the malady, so you know you're not gonna shoot me. You know she's not sure if it's before or after malady kills Mary. So she needs to know if he cares more about finding Mary than, you know, catching Malady. So she tells him uh, that, you know, Mary's trick is a song that only the touch can hear and it gives hope. So Mary's like handcuffed. There's this other lady and her, I think her name is Clara and she wants Mary to sing for her so she'll be touched. So I think this lady isn't touched and, and maybe she's thinking that if she sings and she'll suddenly be touched. Um, Malady and the, the fire lady are there. Malady asks Mary why she sang and she says that she was afraid people would get hurt. So the song comes when she's afraid or sad and it helps. And she knew Melody would hear it and maybe it'd be a reassurance. At the, the society gathering, the girls are performing. Augustus, uh, Augie, he's, he's there. He talks to Prudence and, he's, and he wants to show her some paintings because she had said she liked paintings before. So they, they go off together. Elisabetta, she's around. You know, She's trying to find the, the orphanage place. August... Um, talks to prudence um he's like should i be wearing a ribbon so apparently he's touched as well and he says that you know he's always gravitated to the birds 
So, you know, he heard the song, too, at, at the opera, I guess. Was he there? I think he was there. So he said, you know, he always, you know, was drawn t- towards birds. And, you know, he said he dreamt that he was a crow a lot. And then it happened one time. But he wasn't asleep. He was at church. And, you know, he's a, he was able to fly out in the sky and control it. And, you know, he asked her if that's how it works. And she's like, you know, there aren't two people with the same turn. So I think that line was kind of like for us, basically saying that, all the people who have touched, everyone has a different power set. It's like, okay, that that's that's good to know. And then um, he's like wondering, you know, he's like, what happens if he's flying in a bird and he can't come back? So, you know, he's a little concerned about that. Elisabetta uh, seems to find a place. She, um, so, you know, they open the door, she goes in, but there's like one of those shock trooper mask weird things in there that grabs her. Melody and Mary keep talking. Mary's like, you know, what do you want? Melody's, she says, she goes on about, you know, God made her see. And, you know, she thought she was chosen because she was special. And, you know, she's like, you know, you're not going to sing to make me feel better, whatever. And Melody's like, she says like a demon is coming after her, a woman who sheds her skin or something like that. So the inspector and Amalia are still talking. He asks her what it's like, you know, about seeing bits of the future, whatever, you know, can she control, like, can she change things or whatever? And she says, all she knows is that she's punching the malady. And he's like, you know, do you feel anything, rage or anything? And then Amalia asked, or she says that the malady, you know, she must've been abused before, like as a child, you know, she fears God. And, you know, she felt a, a power greater than pain with uh, Mary singing. So now Ali, uh, Lavina, she wants to talk at the party. She wants to talk to Augie. And she says that, you know, people saw him walk away with Miss Adair with, with Prudence. And it was commented on. So she's concerned that people might think that she's using her trick for social ambition. So that would be bad for Prudence. And you know, it would be disastrous for them and dangerous for her. And she says that, you know, if you think highly of Miss Adair, you must think of her reputation and less of her. And so then he comes out later and he runs into Prudence and you know she's about to say something and he's like really short with her and he's like i think we're done and he's like everyone has, has seen their tricks so he's like I, i've and i've enjoyed our conversation but i have to go so you can tell she's hurt by this because you know she obviously you know she she kind of likes him too or something like that so then then one lady tells prudence she's like well you know she's like standing there she kind of heard all this she's like why don't you just go ahead and, and take off and you know we'll, we'll head over in the carriage or something like that she she drives off and then August, Augie, he's like in a window and he goes into a crow and he starts to follow her, but then he kind of gets bumped or something like that. And like he gets started a lot of the trance thing or whatever. And then like in his pocket, he has a fairyman chip for so from uh, Hugo's whatever sex club. At the inspector's office, you know, they're looking at where all the murder scenes took place, like on this big map of the city. And she gets another flash of hitting malady. And she's like kind of like out of breath now. So she like takes something off the wall and, you know, he doesn't see her. And she's like, is there a restroom or bathroom nearby or whatever? So as she goes outside, she tells that other lady that gets people to talk. She's like, the inspector will about be out here in about 10 minutes. She's like, give him this picture and tell him, you know, for him and his men to be discreet. So Prudence gets, uh, she kind of gets, you know, she's driving in her, her three-wheeled car thing. And she gets stuck behind this like carriage, just like unloading stuff in the street. And she's like, come on or whatever. But then there's like a couple guys come up like on the side of her. So it's like, are they going to do something to her? Elisabetta is now strapped to a chair and that mad doctor's there. So his name is Dr. Haig. Amalia arrives at the factory place 
she puts on Prudence special, like Prudence uh, made these sunglasses. They're supposed to be like, if there's a flash of light or something like that, they kind of like polarize so you can still see. So she's walking around looking and the fire lady's there. Whoosh. And, you know, the sunglasses shield her eyes from the brightness and she's like, wrong way. So she's like trying to guide Amalia, which is like, okay, so now they know you're there. So she's walking and then there's more fire and, you know, she has to go up these little stairs or whatever. Um, August, Augustus, whatever, arrives at the Ferryman Club and it looks like he's kind of drunk now. Hugo's there and it's like he has makeup on. He has like lipstick and eyeshadow on. And then Hugo thinks that the, the touched are the future and you know, he just needs an investment or something like that. So then uh, he's like, you know, we can be partners. And then Hugo, like, he's like, like these two women here and like kind of shoves August to them. So I guess August is going to get a taste of what the club's about. Amalia finds uh, Malady and, you know, she has like this big welcome sign above her and she tries uh, doing like an electricity blast or something like that, but it doesn't affect her. And then Amalia um, punches and punches and slams her head against the machinery or something like that. Malady gets up, shoves um, Amalia down, and then Malady says that, that Amalia doesn't care about anyone or something like that. And she's like, well, I care about Mary. But then we see Mary's like three levels up, like on, on a, a railing with like a rope around her neck. And there's like a couple guys holding her. She's like, she can drop and you can um, shed your skin or something like that. So she thinks that Amalia is the one that's supposed to shed her skin. And she talks about, you know, friends that you can trust. And she calls her Molly. And then Amalia's like, Sarah? So apparently she left her. And, you know, she got cut and raped or whatever while Amalia dined on beef. So I don't know if they knew each other when they were younger, but then Amalia left somewhere and left uh, Malady behind. So she's like, she's like, oh, if Mary's your new best friend, then you must be done with that one. And then you see Prudence is like on the opposite side of the railing, same thing, rope around her neck. And so Malady gives her a gun and the, the ropes are apparently connected by a pulley. So if she shoots, I don't understand how this would work though. She shoots one, then the other is going to survive or something like that. And because they're supposed to be hooked up to the same rope. But then Amalia, you know, she says that, you know, she, because they're talking about a mission. She's like, I do have a mission, but yes, like I'm not cut out for it. It requires sacrifice. And then Amalia shoots herself like, like in the gut. And Malady like rushes over to her and she's like, you know, Amalia's like the mission needs them, not me. And then she shoots Malady in like in the shoulder. And then it's weird because then Malady's like about to get up and go after Amalia, but then the fire lady shoots out a, like a blast of fire to like kind of, I don't know, I, I, I rewound and watched it again. So I don't know if she knocked like the blade out of Malady's hand or stopped her from going up to her because maybe it's like, okay, we need to get out of here now. But then because, uh, you know, you hear like the police whistles. They, I don't know why they're always announcing themselves, but, you know, the, the inspector and the cops are there. Prudence screams. Uh, she's like, take her to Dr. Housen's because Amalia has been, sh you know, she shot herself. So then we see Housen's, uh, he does his healing thing on her. She wakes up later and, uh, you know, she's fine. Amalia says that, you know, she knew Horatio, the, you know, the doctor would uh, fix her. And she's like, you know, and at least I didn't hit any vital organs, but they're like, uh, yeah, you did. So Horatia's like, you know, either you don't know anatomy or your aim is bad. So Malia wants to tell Prudence something about malady, but um, she's but like, she's like not now or whatever. So then uh, Frank talks to Mary and he's like, are you sure you want to stay here? And she's like, yeah, there are good people here. And, you know, she says that she's been ignoring her powers. You know, she's been ignoring a lot. 
and he asks if being touched is why she didn't want to go through with the wedding. And she's like, she's like, I'm too tired to get into it now. He's like, then he asks, he's like, can I call you later? And he's like, there's still some questions that I need to ask you. He's like, or I can get someone else. She's like, no, 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 that's fine. You know, so she's like, you can call me later. So then we see the the evil Dr. Haig or whatever. He has his men working like in a cave or they're like underground or something like that. Then this elevator comes down because they mentioned the, the boss coming before or something like that. So who gets out of the elevator? It's Lavina Bidlow, the wheelchair lady. And, you know, he's like talking to her or whatever. And then there's this like big giant glowing sphere that they're like trying to dig out or whatever. And he's like, you know, soon we'll be able to have some fun. And she's like, this isn't fun. This is war. And the, the people that are working, like there's a bunch of workers around and they're just kind of like zombie slaves. And we see Elizabetta is there. just like carrying like a bucket of dirt or whatever. And, and she's just walking around like a zombie. So what the heck does this mean? Because uh, Lavina, I think she's like funding the orphanage and helping them out and everything. But if she's also doing this and if they're grabbing turn people and the doctor's like lobotomizing them or whatever something's not right here so so we got a mystery on our hands okay there's another new show on hbo max i don't know if i'm going to talk about this it's a it's a seven episode mini series hbo max i think i said that it's with kate winslet it's called mayor of east town i mean kate winslet she's a great actress and uh guy pierce is in it as well and uh, Kate Winslet is like a, a police officer, like a detective or whatever. It's not the most upbeat show because, you know, it's, it's this town like in Pennsylvania or whatever. And, and you know, there's a lot, of, a lot of people like down under luck or means or whatever. And um, so I don't know. I was like watching this and not a whole lot happens. I don't know how, if I should get into this, but we'll try it with the first episode. Just, I mean, I'm definitely going to keep watching the show. I just don't know if it's a show that I should talk about on here. But so for the first episode, so if you're curious, and we'll see um, what happens next week. Like, since The Flash, I don't think is going to be on next week. And maybe, maybe I'll talk about the second episode. I don't know. So Mayor gets a call from this old lady in the beginning. She's a detective sergeant. And she's like, you know, you should be calling the station for this, whatever. And this, like, old lady says that, you know, her granddaughter was taking a shower. And she saw some guy standing outside watching. He was wearing a hoodie. He looks like a ferret, whatever. And, you know, she can't question the granddaughter because she took off back to Allentown. And, and there's a, a camera outside, but her husband still hasn't figured out how to set it up. So they got nothing basically. And then the husband's like, Oh, did you see the big article in the, the paper or whatever? But you know, she's not interested in that. So then uh, at the police station, there's this one dude, officer Tremel, his first day out in the field. Then the chief calls uh mayor into the office. And uh, oh, I forgot to mention the episode is called miss lady Hawk herself. So that, that comes up later. Chief calls her into office, uh, shows her this, this thing on the news. This lady's been talking. It's been a year since her daughter went missing and the police aren't doing anything. And Mare's, she's like, but she was a known drug abuser. She had a history of prostitution. And, you know, but then the, the chief's like, well, you know, you need to keep working on a case. You know, the reward from the Rotary Club or whoever has been increased like 15,000 and new flyers are going out or whatever. And then we see this girl, this young girl, um, she's with her son. Her name's Aaron. And she's like, it's like, oh, I'm going to miss you so much and all this stuff like that. And so she gives her son over to his father. Who, and this this kid is young, too. It's like they got to still be in high school. And um, 
the the kids, you know, he's like such a jerk about it. You know, he's just like, oh, come on, whatever. And his his girlfriend's in the car, and she's like a major B or whatever. She's talking about like uh, their son needs like uh, ear surgery because you know he has an ear infection, and if something's not done about it, he could like have ear loss or like hearing loss. And he's like, well, whatever. He's like, I can't. I don't have the money and, and stuff like that. So Mary, she goes to the pet store because she has to buy like a a glass case for her grandson because he got a, a turtle or something like that. Someone got him a turtle, um, but she does want to pay a lot for it because you know she says it's just gonna die or whatever. But then uh, she gets a a call about a burglary, whatever, and she goes to this lady's house and this trophy case was broken into, whatever, and she thinks it was her brother that did it. So she's in the car and someone Frank calls her. It turns out he's her her ex husband, Mayor's ex husband. And he like wants to tell her something, but she has to cut him off because she sees a dude walking and she calls for backup that they have the, the burglary suspect. I was like, why? Just because it's a, it's a black dude in like a hoodie walking and it's, it's she recognized the guy because it's a small town or whatever. So his name's Freddie. She's like calling to him. He's like running and she tries like chasing after him she like kind of twists her ankle like trying to hop a fence or something like that and she he just like runs into a house so you know she goes there and then uh that officer tremel guy shows up there's a bunch of blood in the house tremel does apparently doesn't do well at the sight of blood and you know he's in his back back room and he's like he's like i'm not coming out whatever and you know, she's like, well, you know, we, where's that blood coming from or something like that? And so she, he, she, she finally tells her she, it's okay. She can come in. So the, the blood is from a cut on his hand. And she's like, where's the stuff you stole? And he's, he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And he's like, whatever. But then he finally says the stuff's behind the bed. So then they're, they're going to take him out in the police squad car. And then his sister comes up and, and she's like slugs him in the face. And she's like, when's it going to be enough or whatever? Because apparently he lost his family over, you know, whatever. If he's doing drugs and stuff like that. The heat was shut off at his house. And, uh, you know, Mayor's like, that's illegal. They can't do that, you know, even if he hasn't paid his bill or whatever. So um, Mayor asks if he can go with, you know, to the sister. He's like, can he go with you? And she's like, no. She's like, I can't do this anymore. And, you know, she's like, are you pressing charges? She's like, no. So she leaves, whatever. And the Mayor's talking to Freddie and she suggests he goes to a shelter at least until they get the heat turned on he's like he's like i'm going to shelter and she's says well you can go back in and have your balls freeze off or whatever or you can go to shelter so he finally agrees to go to the shelter so then uh aaron's dad comes home from work so aaron's was a girl with the little kid she asked how his day was and he's like oh they're horrible and he's just, he's just miserable goes like straight to the beer for fridge she made him dinner and she asks if she can borrow the truck tonight. And he's like, oh, what happened the last time you borrowed it? He's like, you didn't think I'd notice a scratch or something like that. She's like, no, it's not a good idea. So then he takes a bite of his food and he's like, oh, God, he's like, just like curses or whatever because it was hot. And she's like, oh, you know, I, sh I should have told you. I just took it out of the microwave. And he gets up and goes to her. I'm like, is he about to hit her or something like that? He's like, did you talk to poop for brains about paying for the sur ear surgery for your kid? And then she lies. She's like, he said he was going to pay for it. And, and he's like, good. He's, and he's like, I'm paying for his diapers and formula for his son. But it's like, dude, it's your grandkid. So Mary arrives at home. She has like the, the, the glass aquarium. She got like one that was on sale for the turtle. Um, her mom is there with a deacon. It's like, wait, why is this deacon there? Uh, and then she's like, ask her mom why she's dressed up. And she's like, didn't you talk to Frank? 
and he's like, because we're, we're, we're going over to celebrate his engagement to Faye. So Frank's her ex. He arrives. He's looking for some oregano or whatever. We find out the deacon is Mayor's cousin or something like that. And, you know, mom's like, you know, everyone likes Faye or something like that. So she didn't. That's this how she finds out her ex-husband's getting married. Mayor also has a daughter named Shioban. And uh, she kind of has like a, like a Gwen Stacy haircut, you know, it's like kind of shaved on the side, you know, his blonde hair and everything like that. So she could be like, like uh, enter in, enter the Spider Verse, uh, Gwen Stacy. And uh, so I was like, wait, is she the the kids? Because this little kid with the turtle is her grandson, but her daughter looks fairly young too. But again, Aaron was young. And she's talking about like college, but the, the kid calls her Sheobam. So it's like, why wouldn't he call her mom? So I don't think he's her mom or whatever. You know, it's not really clear at this point. And, you know, her uh, mayor asked her if she's felt at college apps or whatever because they're due. And she's like, they need to be postmarked by the 15th. So today's the 8th or, you know, whatever. So then we see Aaron rides her bike. She goes to her friends and she's talking about meeting this guy, Brandon, that she's been texting. Um, then uh, back at, at Mayor's, her mom, Helen, and Dan, the deacon, and Shuban, um, Drew, the little kid. They actually, they, they, they all arrive at Frank's. They're all going to, to celebrate his engagement. Mayor can hear, um, like, the party because it's, it's, they leave, live practically, like, next door. And Shuban's, like, singing. Like, her friends have a band or something like that. And then uh, Mayor goes to her friend, Lori's. The husband and kids are going over to Frank's as well. And it cuts to, like, a school basketball game. And uh, so Mayor is there because they're being honored for a basketball championship. It was like 25 years ago. The lady that was on the news, her name is Dawn. She's like, she gets in line in, in front of Mayor. So they know each other. And then Mayor is like talking to her. She's like, you know, we're doing everything we can. And, was, you know, you keep bringing this up. And Dawn's like, it's not about you. You know, it's, you know, because it's about her daughter. And, you know, it's, it's not supposed to be a dig at Mayor or the police, even though she said the police aren't doing anything. But she's the one leading the case. So there's all this stuff. After uh, the basketball thing, Mayor goes to a bar. Um, the bartender calls her Lady Hawk because the, the Hawks were, was a school mascot or something like that. There's a dude at the bar named Richard, which is Guy Pierce. He like tries talking to her and everything, and he's, he's new to town. He's guest lecturing at the college or something like that, and you know he wants to buy her a drink or whatever. Aaron arrives at a party in the woods because she's supposed to meet um, this guy there. And, you know, she sees a couple friends, talks to him to ask her about the baby and about being a mom. She's like, oh, it's great and everything. And, you know, he means everything. So then she gets a text from the guy uh, from Brandon saying that he's by the bridge trail. So she goes over there, but it turns out it's not Brandon. It's Brianna, who is her her ex's girlfriend. So she's mad because apparently um, Aaron got bored one night and texted her ex about missing sneaking up to his parents' attic to do stuff. And uh, so Brianna, you know, she's like, I warned you, I'd get you. And there's like, you know, others around her. Her ex is there too. And he like insults. He's like, yeah, we went up there and she sucked my blank. And, uh, you know, so he's just like insulting and everything. It's like, okay, this girl, she's like, this is the mother of your child. And uh, and then, you know, there's, there's one of the friends is like recording, whatever. So then Brianna comes up and like punches her. And like kicks her and just like just starts hitting her and stuff like that. Shioban comes up running and tells her to get off her or whatever. And then Aaron gets up and you know, she's got a bloody nose and she just like walks off. 
So Mayor is still at the bar talking to Richard, and then Frank walks in. It's like, wait, you're having this big party, Frank, and now you're at the bar? So maybe the, like, the party moved or whatever. So she asks uh, Richard, she's like, hey, can we go someplace else? So they go to his place. So uh, I guess he he's renting a house. I don't know like, how long he's lecturing. They end up doing it on the couch or whatever, and she's getting ready to leave right after. And then you know she's like, I got to take my grandkid to school tomorrow. He's like, your grandkid or whatever. Then he's like, you know, can I call you again? And she's like, no, this is like a one-time thing. She's like, my life is complicated. And then, you know, they talk a little bit more. And he asks again, he's like, can I call you, whatever. And she's like, I'll call you. And, you know, they, they're, they're talking about his book or whatever there. And she's like, can I have this? And you know, or something like that. And she's like, how much can I get for it on eBay or whatever? And so then he says, good night lady hawk and she just like shakes her head when she leaves so she drives home and she sees someone like like is it the hooded prowler because she like backs up or whatever he's like down this like little alley so she calls it in siobhan is like sleeping with some girl and she like kind of reaches over and then the girl kind of like rolls over like away from her so it's probably like her girlfriend so siobhan's probably not the father or not the mother, maybe. Frank and uh, Faye are all smiley, whatever. Aaron's baby's like screaming in the morning, and you know her boyfriend like gets up or whatever. And um, Don is printing out more flyers for her missing daughter. Aaron's dad comes home. He's like he, he's drunk or something like that. And then we see like a creek, and it starts like panting, panting over. And there's Aaron dead, naked, lying by the. She's they do like a close up of her face, and she's got this huge gash like above her left eye, like maybe just hit. By a rock or something like that, and then uh, Mare wakes up next to her her grandkid because you know, she when she came home it was like three thirty, and uh, then she sees uh, the kid's father like her so it's probably her son, and then then she like kind of dreamt it and she gets a call, so probably what happens she had a son something happened to her son, her son had the kid Drew I don't know who the mom is, maybe she died too. So that's why she has a grandkid. But it's like, man, all these people have kids so young. And so she gets a call, and it's probably about Aaron being murdered. So so Don lost her daughter. She may have lost her son for somehow. And then now Aaron's killed. So there's a lot of something going on in this small little town. So, you know, the first episode, it's it's not like action-packed. You know, it's not necessarily it was like slow or anything, but it's just taking its time to tell the story. But um, it's it's interesting, you know, and with Kate Winslet because you know she has a English accent or whatever, and and here it's like not even a hint of it. And the other thing that's that's nice, and and I, I read that she really kind of like fought for this is you know she's like not wearing makeup because she's like this character, she's like she wouldn't take the time to put the makeup on, and she wouldn't care to put the makeup on. You know, she wouldn't just not try to impress anyone. So it's it's not often that you see that because I, th- I think like some of the producers or some Pride Network or you know HBO or someone wanted her to have some makeup on or whatever. And she's like, no, you know, that doesn't make any sense. So that's kind of nice that they're keeping it real like that. So like I said, I'm going to keep watching the show. I don't know if I'm going to keep talking about it. So I guess you'll find out next week. Unless I hear if someone says, hey, yeah, if you know, a bunch of people start saying, yeah, you know, keep talking about it. But um, I'm definitely curious about this and I, I like you know it's seven episodes that's going to tell the story it's like okay don't try to drag it out just tell your story boom done move on to the next project so we'll see how it goes okay now i want to talk about cruel summer so i'm going to talk about the first two episodes i wasn't sure if i was gonna 
talk about this show. And I'm going to be perfectly honest. This is a freeform show. And I was just like, freeform? I don't know what to think about it. Not that there's anything wrong with freeform. Because wasn't was uh, Cloak and Dagger in freeform? No, Runaways was Hulu. But the only, and I'll be, and again, continue to be perfectly honest, the only reason I watch the show is because Olivia Holt is in it. And, you know, so Olivia Holt from Cloak and Dagger and and just, she seems like a really cool person. You know, the, the opportunity, the times I've been able to interview or, you know, be in a press room. And the story kind of looks interesting. I just wasn't sure. It's like, is this too much of like a a, a teen show? I, I checked out. I, now, I do have Freeform on my cable. I don't know what channel that is. I always have to look up the, like, where's the cable guy? You know, I got this, like, hardboard piece, you know, with, with all the channels when I we signed up, we switched over a cable, whatever. So I always have to look it up. And it's like, I was going to set the, the DVR, but I was like, I don't want to have to fast forward through the commercials. And then I saw, or I heard something, I forget where it was. Like, so it's, it's on Freeform on Tuesday nights. I don't know if it's like 10 o'clock or something like that. And then it's on Wednesdays at Hulu, on Hulu. So I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to watch it on Hulu. I'll, I'll, I'll wait a day. I'm totally fine with that. I could watch it Wednesdays or whatever. So I did that. <laughs> so, you know, I'm paying for Hulu. Might as well watch it. That way I don't have to worry about commercials and everything. So aside from Olivia Holt, there's also um, the, the main character is uh, Chiara Oriella, so she plays uh, Jeanette Turner, who we'll hear about in just a second. So what the show is about, the official description, whatever, it's an unconventional thriller that takes place during three summers, 93, 94, 95, a small time, when a beautiful, popular teen Kate is abducted and a seemingly unrelated girl, Jeanette goes from being a sweet, awkward outlier to the most popular girl in town, and by 95, the most despised person in America. This is like... I don't know who wrote this, but that's I don't think that's the official description. So anyways, what what is interesting about the show, what fascinates me, is it, it it takes place over three years. So that's what it says. So the beginning of the first episode pilot, or no, actually the first episode is Happy Birthday, Jeanette Turner. Um, the very first thing, it's, so take, it's taking place in the 90s, and it's like someone's typing on a, on a computer, and it says, the events that are about to unfold take place on approximately June 21st, 1993, 1994, 1995. So it's taking place over over three years. You kind of get an idea. I mean, there there's some obvious differences between the time, especially with, with Jeanette. You can really see, okay, you know what time period it is. The filters and the, just the, the, like the color palette you can kind of see like what's going on to start you off. And then, you know, we'll go from there and I may just go ahead and run through the, the first two episodes. Uh, so you can decide if you want to watch it or not, if it's curious, you know, interesting enough. So on 1993, it's Jeanette's birthday. It's her 15th birthday. She's, you know, in bed, she gets woken up by her parents and her brother. He's like in the back. Parents are very lovey dovey. He's a very tight knit family. And, you know, this Jeanette, she has like glasses and braces. You know, she's like the awkward teen, you know, typical whatever. They talk about having a special dinner tonight. Her older brother, he's like, oh, I can't make dinner because I waited in line. I'm going to the Boys to Men concert, whatever, with, you know, some girl. And, and their parents are like, well, no, you're not. And she's like, no, 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 it's fine, and everything like that. So then um, that's 1993. And then in 1994, she doesn't have glasses or braces. So there's a, there's a difference in her appearance. And now this boy's waking her up. And, you know, he, he's joking that he had to convince the dad. He had to arm wrestle the dad to, to let him wake her up in a bedroom, you know, her bedroom, because they have this family tradition or whatever. And, you know, he says that he has a plan 
a day planned, you know, with the crew or whatever. So they're going to do some stuff. He said that he promised, I think he said he promised it, that they were going to wait before they, they did anything. And she's like, oh, you, you're kind of light. Anyways. And then in 1995, it's like darker. It's, it's almost like a bluish tint to everything. It's just the dad's kind of sternly like wakes her up. He's like, come on. She's like, wake up. She's like, your lawyer's here. And then she's like, which one? He's like, what's the matter? He's like, just get the hell up out of bed and go talk to them. So it's like, no more lovey-dovey dad. And, you know, where's the mom? She has, like, short hair now. Dad's, like, unshaven. It's just, so these are the, the three different eras. So, again, when she, 93, nerdy girl, braces, glasses. 94, makeup, long, you know, silky hair, you know, everything like that. And then 95 is, like, sh- short, super short hair. And everything's, like, dreary. So she goes to talk to her lawyer, and you know her lawyer dropped an unannounced. You know they need to get working on a case, and she's saying because it's you know it's Jeanette's word against hers, so we don't know who her is, or whatever. Then it cuts; it keeps jumping back and forth. So this is where you gotta pay attention, sort of. But it, you know, it kind of makes sense. In the second episode, there's some part we'll talk about it where I was like, wait, what year is this? So in 1993, she's riding a bike with t- her two friends. Um, Harley Quinn Smith is is one of her friends, and. The other is this, her name's Mallory, and then, then there's a boy, Vincent. So they go to the mall, they go in the photo booth, they're going to go to the movie. Her f- two friends want to buy her a gift, so they're, they're kind of distracting her, they're telling whatever. And then uh, Jeanette sees Olivia Holt's character, Kate. She's like, uh, she might be, there's like a couple of her friends sitting on a bench, and they just kind of look at, her, at Kate as she walks towards, or as Jeanette walks towards Kate. And she kind of goes like on the other side of this little booth or whatever, and she like kind of makes eye contact. She's like, oh, I like your purse. She's like, oh, thanks. And then, you know, she, Kate goes back to looking at her stuff. And she's like, it's my birthday. And she's like, okay, hey, happy birthday, whatever. And then she's like, Jeanette, right? You know, she like recognizes her. And then her boyfriend comes up to her. Her boyfriend's named Jamie. Then, you know, they start making out, whatever. So then uh, Jeanette goes to her friends. They got her this cheap <laughs> necklace. And she's like, oh, you didn't have to get me that. They're like, oh, we only spent $7. So it's it's like a necklace on a rope with like a, a plastic thing that says, you go, girl. Like kind of like bright color, neon colors. Then in 1994, she's waking up with her bo- boyfriend. I didn't quite catch it right away. So her boyfriend is Jamie. So her boyfriend is actually Olivia Holtz, uh, Kate's boyfriend. So then they go out. She's roller skating with her new friends. So, so, so Jamie's just kind of sitting talking to one of his friends. And then so Jeanette talks to her friends. And she's they're asking her about last weekend because it was her first time. And she's like, it was perfect. And you know, she's like, you know, some people say the first time is not good, but it, everything was fine, everything like that. And then uh, you know, Jamie's friend asks him if he still thinks about Kate. And they're like, one, you're like, did she run away? So, like, what happened to Kate? So, the mystery is starting to unfold. So, now, 1995, Jeanette's watching, like, the news or whatever. And there's it's, it talks about Kate Wallace being missing for two weeks. So, this is where it's a little confusing. It's like, wait a minute, because in 94, they're talking about Kate being missing. But in 95, she's watching the news. And it's like, it's talking about her, what it is she's watching, like, recordings of the news. So, that'll come up more later. So and uh, we see Jamie. He's sitting in his car outside her house, and he has a, he, you know, he's like looking at a picture, whatever. And he has a, a glove, a gun in his glove compartment. And then Vincent calls uh, Jeanette, saying, "Hey, Jamie's parked outside your house again." She's like, oh, "Yeah, I know." So then, 1993, Jeanette talks to her brother about their summer plans. You know, they're gonna have like this list of stuff that they want to do. 1995, her dad goes to uh, this lady bartender. 
and he's he's talking about her and um she gets off in a couple hours and then she's like am i sleeping over at your house tonight so something happened between 94 and 95 or no 93 and 95 so 95 her disheveled dad is dating the lady bartender so it's like where's the mom 93 i don't know if if you're so with me now hopefully you're so with me 93 she's talking to her dad late at night you know after her birthday party and and you know she mentions how she's nerdy or whatever and he's like no you're not and he's all this stuff like whatever 94 she's home with her her boyfriend and he gives her a picture from the photo booth and they're like outside and they hear like a gunshot and she freaks out and Jamie's like, oh, it's probably just a car backfire. Like Vincent heard it too. He comes out, you know, because he like kind of lives next door. And what are then they they go back inside. 1995, Jeanette's watching the news about Kate being missing, and she keeps rewinding it. So it's over and over. So this is how we get like, oh, it's videotaped. I didn't again, I didn't quite catch on right away. It's like maybe she's just, you know, rewinding it, live TV, whatever. The dad's girlfriend comes over and Jeanette's like rude to her. And, you know, then she tries uh talking to her about the tragedy what happened to that girl and she's like if you ever want to talk you know she and she's like but don't talk to me like i'm the enemy and you know she's like she kind of straightens up Jeanette, and she's like okay yeah i'm sorry you know everything which is is kind of cool but whatever 1993 Jeanette hangs up the pictures with her friends in the mirror 94 uh she's looking in the mirror and then it cuts to 95 so it keeps kind of like flipping you know like the same place but the different years which again is, is kind of neat and all that. And 93 with her friends, one of the things on her list is they want to do something illegal. And, you know, she was a little uh, hesitant about this, but they want to break into her house because her dad's a realtor. So Harley Quinn Smith, her, you know, they, they go to the realtor shop and she says that, you know, she asks if she can use a bathroom or whatever, but she goes back and she goes into this, like one of the office where all the keys are kind of hanging up and she just takes a random key. They go there to the address on a key and Jeanette's like, notice, she's like, oh, this house has already been sold. And then the same house, so this is 93 and 95, we see the same house that's boarded up. There's like, you know, big planks of wood, like on a, it's like no trespassing. And um, so it's like, okay, wait, what's what's going on here? And back to 93, they go inside and they want to play hide and seek. And they, you know, they do like a not it, whatever. So Jeanette has to, has to find them. 94. Mallory and Vincent are talking about Jeanette and her having sex for the first time because everyone's talking about it. And, you know, Mallory, she's she's really like upset and like bitter that, you know, their their best friend is acting so different. You know, she's like she's mutated over the past year. And, you know, and she's like apparently Vincent was in love with her. He's like, I wasn't in love with her or whatever. But Mallory says that. You know, she's like the last thing this town needed was another Kate Well, you know, the sequel. And she's like, and she's like, not even as good as or whatever. The sequels are never as good as the original, or and the original wasn't even good or whatever. 1993 in the house, they're playing hide and seek. So Jeanette's looking for them, and then um, there's a man in the house, and Jeanette kind of screams. Then she admits that her dad sold the house. So the guy says his name is Martin. He just bought the house. He's like, oh, you're, what's his name's daughter? And she makes up an excuse about her dad doing a walkthrough like the night before. And, you know, before he got there, he, he misplaces his briefcase. So, you know, he might have left it there. And, you know, she makes a loud thing where she's going to go down to the basement because uh, she, she goes down there and looks first. She kind of noticed something in the basement. And I don't know if, if I missed something. But you know, there's like just like these mirrors and whatever, and then that's when 
she finds this guy Martin. So she kind of says, she's like, oh, I need to show you something in the basement. And she's saying it pretty loud. So her friends, they're upstairs, like hiding in the shower, behind a shower curtain. It's like, wouldn't you split up? But then they, they sneak out of the house when they go down the basement. So it turns out this dude is a new assistant principal at the high school. And she's like, oh, you know, awesome, whatever. And he's like, okay, well, you know, I'll see you around. And she's like, well, probably not. I don't really get in trouble, you know. They, she goes to her friends and they're like, okay, what's next on the list? So she, you know, she thinks that that was really cool that they got caught. They did this, whatever. Um, 1995, she's watching the news again and Kate's friends are talking, you know, hoping that she's okay. Uh, Jeanette's drinking on, on the videotape. It says that it's 1994. So now it's clear that, you know, that's when this whatever stuff happened. Mallory uh, says that, you know, she was, best friends with Jeanette then overnight she became conniving so you know Mallory's on the news and uh she spoke out against Jeanette so that's not good 1994 they're they're talking about it's been a a year since Kate disappeared Jeanette's at the mall with her new friends Mallory and Vincent see her and they walk in Mallory's like being really sarcastic and everything to her then uh Jeanette she tells her friends because her her friends are Kate's best former best friends so she says hey, can i get a minute with them or whatever and then she's she's talking about her. she's like she's like i don't know what's going on she's like you know you pulled away too you know if, if you just want to talk you know where to find me and then she like gives mallory a hug and it's kind of like surprises mallory she's like what are you doing and then she's like god you sound just like her 1995 Jeanette's is sitting in a car and, you know, other kids walk walk by and they're like, what's up, psycho? And, you know, she's like eating some food and she just like throws a shake at them. <laughs> and then she drives off. She meets with her lawyer. So they're a few months away from the trial. And the lawyer is, is concerned about her likability, you know, because they want the jury to root for her. But she's not really giving an impression that she's the wrong party. And Jeanette's, uh, you know, she's like, well, what do you expect? She's like, I'm the most hated person in the nation now. And, you know, all this stuff. So, you know, it's, we still don't know exactly what happened. 1994, Jeanette is with a friend, and then the other friend comes in, and she's like, they found Kate. And Jeanette's kind of concerned. She's like, did they say where they found found her? It's like, you know, where's her body or whatever? And her friend's like, she's not dead. She's alive. And Jeanette is like, she's like really concerned. And you, she's like, like kind of shocked and like, oh, crap, like what's going on? So they go over to Jamie's house, a boyfriend, and there's this other guy there. He's like, oh, this is not really a good time. And then Jamie comes out, hits Jeanette in the face. And I think he's like, what'd you do to her or something like that? She tells her parents, you know, she's, you know, she goes home. She's got like a bloody nose or like, you know, like a black eye. She's like, she says it was a volleyball accident and stuff like that. Then the news comes on and, you know, they said Kate was rescued today. Her abductor was killed in a deadly shootout. So her abductor was Martin Harris, the assistant principal. And then you see footage of her walking out of the house. You know, like the, the police are taking her to get a blanket around her and, and, you know, walking out of the house to where they were at. And we see Jeanette. She has like a, a tear like going down her face. And, and she, again, she looks super worried. So it's like, what is she hiding? And how does this involve the assistant principal? 1993, Jeanette comes home. She still has the house key. Because, you know, she never took it back to the office or whatever. And she puts it in a jewelry box. And she takes off the new necklace she has and she puts it in there too. 1995, she's watching the news. So this would be, I guess, from 94. So it's an interview with Kate. And she's saying it's, you know, or the interviewer says it's three months since she was freed. 
uh, Jeanette fast forwards a little bit, and Kate's like, you know, she was like, I want to share something in, in, in order, you know, to help me heal. She's like, I've been advised by my legal team not to do this, but she's like, you know, a few months after I was kidnapped, something gave me hope. She's like, I was found by someone, a girl. She's like, I didn't know her very well, but you know, she saw me, and I thought salvation was near, and I was going to be rescued, but help didn't come for months. And they're like, well, why not? And she's like, well, while I was being held captive, you know, she was taking over my life. And then uh, Kate looks at the camera. She's like, you could have saved me from, you know, like all these horrible, you know, unspeakable things. And then she's like, Jeanette Turner, I hope you rot in hell. Dun, 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 end of the first episode. So then she's like, holy crap. Jeanette knew that she was being held captive and didn't say anything. And what she so she's taking over her life. So then episode two, A Smashing Good Time. Now here, the events that are about to unfold take place at approximately June 26th, 1993, 1994, 1995. So it's a few days later. 1993, uh, Kate gets this like new leotard or whatever, you know, from her mom and she's putting on some makeup, whatever. I think it's still, ni- no, wait. so that's 93. 94, Kate is sitting in a room. So this is after she was found. Uh, her friends, Renee and Tennille, are they're going to be coming over. And her mom's like talking to her and she wants to put earrings on her. And then she's like, oh. And Kate's like, yeah, my, my ears must have, you know, closed after, you know, being locked up for, you know, whatever, all the months. So then her mom's like, oh, I'll take care of it, whatever. And she just like, psh, like pops her <laughs> earring in her ear and like whatever. So um, and it was just, it was very, very harsh. And in 1995... I think it's it's Kate. She's like dancing to in the street, like in front of his truck, but to zombie by the cranberries, like. And then uh, she's thinking back to being in the basement, and we see her like in a corner, uh, like huddled up, like there's sirens, but it's like driving by. And I couldn't tell if there's like a bruise on her face or not because it's just with the lighting. Then 1993, so she's doing this like step class aerobics thing with her mom, whatever, and the leotard. And then we see uh, Jeanette is there too. I guess with her mom, you know, trying to keep up and everything like that. You know, she doesn't really know the moves and everything like that. She's a little awkward. Then, uh, so her mom talks to Kate and Kate's mom after class. And, you know, she's really trying to trying to talk to them. She, and she, then she suggests, it's like, oh, we, you know, we should do a girl's day or whatever. And Kate's like, oh, that sounds like fun. And then, you know, they, they start going towards the car. And her mom's like, we are not calling them. So her mom is like kind of like stuck up like like almost like they're too high class for Jeanette and her mom or whatever so but Kate was like nice about it she's like yeah that you know we, that sounds like fun whatever and she's like they're just trying to be nice and 1994 so Kate's lying in a bathtub with her clothes so this is after you know she was freed her boyfriend comes in and like he's scary like pulls her up and then she asks him you know they're talking about it. she's like how did it happen she's like you and Jeanette She's like, I just disappeared, and she took my place. And he, he's like, no, it wasn't like that. And he's like, I was putting up missing persons flyer one day, and she offered to help. And then Kate's like, I heard you hit her. And she's like, you hit people now? She's like, who are you? And he's like, I'm your boyfriend. And he's like, Jeanette is an imposter. You know, he's like, she didn't steal your life. She tried to. But it's like, dude, you were like dating her and sleeping with her and all lovey-dovey. And I mean, he clearly had feelings for her. 1994, I think it's 1994, Kate's watching the news. Is it 94? She got her belly button. See, this is where I was a little unclear. 
And I don't know if there was something with the hair. Maybe I should have noticed, and I just missed it. So she got her belly button pierced. Like, um, you know, the news is on. Her dad comes in. It's actually her stepdad. Um, not that it matters. Uh, turns off the TV. So, and then uh, shortly after, Kate and her mom are arguing because, uh, like, the mom they want to be best friends again. And Kate says something about you know, asks if she remembers the last thing she said to her before she went missing. So then, nineteen ninety three. The dad is talking on on the on the phone to like a mistress or something like that. He talks about like slipping away during a party and like Kate like hears this and she's like kind of shocked. So then Kate's friends are over trying to talk to her and then someone says that Jeanette is now saying that she saw her or someone said that Jeanette said she saw her chained to a wall and Kate's like I was never chained to a wall and she's like Jeanette didn't say anything she had too much to lose. So it's like what does that mean? And then she's like, and uh, apparently uh, Kate hasn't talked to the police yet because one of her friends like, my, your mom wanted me to try to convince you to talk to police. She's like, I'm not ready yet. She, and she's like, I want my statement to have a purpose. And then back at 1993, Kate's talking to her mom about this lady, Candace Johnson. And she's like, how does she know dad? And she's like, oh, they're on the city council together or whatever. And then, you know, they talk about the Turners and, you know, she's like, I think the mom wants to be me. And Kate's like, well, Jeanette seems sweet. And her mom's like, well, the weird apple doesn't fall too far from the creep tree. Kate tries to bring up the Candace Johnson stuff again. And her mom just like kind of dismisses it. So then they go to the country club party. Uh, Martin, the assistant principal, he shows up. You know, he's new to town or whatever. So I guess he became a member. Then we see Jamie uh, with his friend. And, you know, he's saying how he wants things to go back to normal with Kate. And, but his friends are like, well, you know, Jeanette really wants to, wants to talk to you. And, you know, he's like, yeah, you might at least owe her a conversation. So this is still 1994. Then 95, the lawyer is talking to the friend and he's like, oh yeah, I can't believe it's been a year since I set up that meeting. So then uh, the lawyer is like, well, do you think Kate fal- falsely accused Jeanette? He's like, well, I used to. He's like, well, you know, I'm not really sure. He's like, at the end of the summer, I didn't know who to believe. And he's like, and I still don't. And then the lawyer's like, well, do you believe in any way or do you blame Jeanette anyway for what happened to you? And then he's like, yeah. So then back at the country club, uh, Jeanette's dad drops her brother off at work. And the dad is surprised that the Wallaces are going to party right after their daughter was found. So this must be in 94. Um, and then he gets there and like all the other like so the brother works kind of like a kind of like a, a busboy server, whatever, you know, and all the other workers are just kind of like looking at him and stuff like that. So then like his best friends there. So there's a rumor about Kate Wallace that Kate says that his sister Jeanette knew where she w- was when she was kidnapped and didn't say anything. And then, the, the you know, so her brother's just kind of like he's like, oh, OK, whatever. He's like, fine, OK, I'm out of here. You don't have to call security. Because, you know, he's like, the friend's like, no, I believe you, but, you know, it just might be good for you to, you know, just kind of lay low or whatever. So it's, it's, this is kind of starting up here. In 94, no, 93, uh, at the country club, Kate sees her dad go off with a lady. And then 94, we see Kate and Jamie, and you know, they're in, in a room and they're eating food or like fast food. She asks him if he can get her some water, or something like that. And when he's gone, you know, when he goes to get it, his pager goes off. So he, you know, she just just looks, whatever. It's telling him to where to meet her tonight. You know, at what nine o'clock or what, like it's a park or something like that. So Kate sees this, and then then you know, he comes back, and she's like, "Oh, so what are you doing tonight?" He's like, "Oh, you know, I'm I'm just gonna probably hang out with the guys." So he he's lying to Kate. 
1993, ladies are talking about Martin, you know, because who's the new guy and, ooh, you know, all this stuff, whatever. Kate wants to talk to her mom about dad. And so she pulls her aside and she said that she heard dad on the phone with Candace Johnson. And she's like, he's having an affair. And the mom like laughs. She's like, that's not true. And she's like, I heard them. And she's like, they're, they're inside now. And her, she's like, no. And she's like, you're just making up stories. So Kate goes inside and she can kind of hear them talking and everything. So then, you know, they're in this one room and she opens it, but they're looking at a pamphlet. And he says that he's surprising his her mom with a romantic cruise next month. He's like, oh, do you think she'll like it? Whatever. So she's like, yeah. So Kate goes outside and she apologizes to her mom. And she's like, listen here, little miss. And she talks about, you know, making false accusation that could ruin a family. And it's, she's like, it, just, it makes you, you know, look very unflattering. And she's like, now run along. She's like, I don't wish to speak to you at for the moment. So then... Uh, 1994, the country club, the mom's talking about the evil thing that was walking among them, now is rotting in hell, so she's talking about Martin. And then 1993, Jeanette and her friends throw water balloons with shaving cream at the country club people, whatever they run. Kate, like, sees them, you know, as, as they're running off, whatever, but doesn't say anything. 1994, Kate is on a computer. She's online. She's looking at different, like, chat rooms. There's, like, abduction survivor chat. Back to 93, we see... Uh, Kate is on her own drinking on a swing. So this is after her mom dismissed her. So she stole a bottle of champagne or something like that. So she's drinking on a swing. This yard worker dude, um, I forgot his name. Uh, he sees her and he's like talking to her. He wants to take her home. 1994, Jamie meets uh, Jeanette. You know, she's like, thanks for coming. And he's like, what do you want? And she's like, I didn't do the things that Kate said. And she's like, you, you know me. And you know, it's like she went through horrible things. Maybe she's not in her right mind. And you know, you know, she she comes back. Her boyfriend's with someone else. She spent months in captivity. You know, she sees a guy. You know, that was holding her get shot in front of her. And he then he asks. She's like, I'm gonna just ask you once. He's like, Did you see her? And she's like, No. She's like, Of course not. So Jamie doesn't know what to think. And she says that she's like, I would never lie to you. And they're like really close. And she starts kissing him. And then of course Kate followed him. And she sees them like just kissing, and she she turns around and leaves. So in 1993, uh, the mom puts Kate to bed. You know, so this is when she's drunk. The, the, the worker guy brought her, the yard maintenance guy brought her back. So she's talking to the, the maintenance dude, and she's like, "I don't know what's going on with her." And you know, the worker guy's like, "Oh, so you know, where's your husband?" She's like, "Oh, he's at the lodge with the boys." But it's like, is he really, or is he with Candace Johnson? But then it turns out she's having an affair with the maintenance dude because they start kissing. Kate comes down, she sees them making out, and she's just like, doesn't know what to do. So she walks out the front door, she starts running down the street. 1994, Kate's online, she starts a, a private chat, she's in a private chat, and she types, what do you think would happen if people found out? The person replies, we don't know who she's chatting with, but the person's like, which part? And then Kate types, that I haven't been completely honest. So... Kate was abducted in theory, but she's not telling the truth about something. So was she lying about Jeanette seeing her or what? So anyways, so she, she goes out running, whatever the police, uh, she goes to the police. She makes a statement. She says, uh, Jeanette Turner saw her when she was captive and they're like, when she's like, I don't know, maybe December. She's like, I have a calendar. And then they're like, are you certain it was Jeanette? She's like a hundred percent. She's like, I have proof. 
because she's like, if she wasn't there, then how would I have this? And it was like her You Go Girl necklace. 1993, so she's running after seeing her mom with the maintenance dude making out. She stops running and sits on a curb. Someone walks up, um, has a keys. And it's like weird because you just see his hand, the keys, has like three keys like sticking out of his fingers, like if you're about to jab someone with them. But then he asks if she's okay, and she says that she doesn't think she is. So we don't know who she's talking to. 1994, you know, they they were asking, like, how well did she know Martin before the abduction? And she's like, not well at all. But then 1993, the dude asks if, if um, he can help or whatever. And she's like, well, I don't know you. And then he kneels down. He's like, well, I'm Martin. And she's like, I'm Kate. And he holds out his hand, like, smiling, and she shakes his hand. 1995... Um, wait, so this is 95. Kate shows her mom the piercing. So maybe she got the piercing 95 before. Um, then there's news about Jeanette that comes on, on TV. So there's a, it says something like legal battle defamation. So now they're going to sue Kate. And then Kate sits down now and she's kind of panicking. So that's what the must be why Jeanette's talking to the lawyer. 1994. Kate knocks on a basement door. She's like, open the door. So this must be after she's abducted. She's wearing a different outfit. So she wasn't taken by Martin that night when she ran away. Because she has like a, it was almost like, it was like she's wearing a prom dress or something. I don't know. And in 1995, you're watching the news about this defamation lawsuit. And like the mom's like, they're going to sue us. Like we need to get it. You know, maybe no one saw this. Her phone starts ringing and stuff like that. And then Kate's just like, ah! just like screams at the TV. This is why I'm hooked. You know, we had this abduction story and that Jeanette Turner like took over her life. Did Jeanette see Kate being held prisoner? Because she had the key to Martin's place and her necklace is there. But she says that she does, didn't see Kate there. And now she's trying to sue Kate for defamation by saying that, you know, she's making up the stories about her. But then Kate even says that she's not telling the whole truth or she's hiding something. And the other question is, like, you know, she says she didn't know Martin at all, but maybe she did. You know, maybe they knew each other for a while, but then why would she, you know, did he decide to lock her up after? Or I, this is, these are the questions we have. So I, I dig the show. I, I, I think it's a it's an interesting show. And I like the, the do. It, it may get a tiny bit confusing, but maybe, you know, it's because, you know, I'm uh, whatever. But it's worth checking out. So it's on Freeform. It's also on Hulu, so you might want to check that out. I don't know if this is like a show, if it's like always going to be on Hulu or if it's like one of those shows where like after four weeks, you know, the oldest episode expires or, you know, or so if you're going to check it out, you might want to make sure you get on that because it's, it's, I think it's very good. I'm, I'm digging it. Okay. And now the movie feature is Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat. Uh, so Mortal Kombat. Um, the movie was, was fine. You know, it, it was, it was better than I thought, you know, I was a little, little skeptical, but at the same time, you know, I, I can't say that I like super loved it. Uh, there, there's some, a lot of cool moments and some, some nice things that they did. Some parts were a little like, okay, but I, I think part of the reason also is it feels like it wasn't that, that long ago that they released the animated Mortal Kombat movie, Scorpion's Revenge, right? I think that's what it was called. So I, I know, because that movie, I mean, it, that was basically like uh, origin of 
the Mortal Kombat tournament and most of the, the characters and everything. So this movie is kind of doing the same thing. And I know an animated movie release and a theatrical movie release are two different things, but it just felt like, and, and, and be, you know, this is probably just the story from the game, you know, the backstory or whatever. So there was like a lot of stuff. I feel like, like okay, so we're, I'm seeing a lot of this stuff again. There are some minor differences and whatever. So I am not a Mortal Kombat expert, so I, I can't really speak to which is more accurate with the backstory or whatever. So it, it was cool to see everything. But I just feel like a lot of this stuff was just so familiar and that's, but that at the same time, that's a good thing. I still, um, like, I don't know every single character's name off the, yeah, after a while. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's that person, that's that person, and so forth. I, I do recommend also that that animated movie. So I talked about that on, on the podcast. I forget what episode it was, but that was pretty good. And this is different. I mean, you kind of can't really compare the two. You know, there's one thing about seeing like Goro, you know, CG live action, you know, fighting, you know, versus animated fighting. And so there, there's some moments. So I'm going to uh, kind of go through like the beginning just to tell you what happens and how it starts off. Cause there's, there's a couple things that are different from, and I, like I said, I don't know which is the, the accurate portrayal because uh, this movie starts out in 1617. So the whole story with um, Hanzo Hasashi, uh, with basically Scorpion with him getting killed by Sub-Zero, his family getting killed, all that, you know, the, the two movies handle it a little differently. So with this movie in 1617 in Japan, uh, there's a couple and their kid by the, in, at their house, they're like in the woods. The lady's like, I need two more buckets or, you know, water or whatever. The kid hears his baby sister crying, so he's going to go inside to check on her. And then uh, dude, Hanzo, you know, he tells his wife he's blessed to be with her. So he grabs a couple buckets and he's going to go by the river. And you see there's, like, other, like, men walking around, like, guards or whatever. And then the mom um, goes in to check on a baby. Uh, you know, she's, baby's crying. The dude's getting the water. You see he has a tattoo or scar symbol on his arm, which is a Mortal Kombat symbol. He hears some, like, screaming. But then at the house, there's, like, some, like, screaming outside. And then you see, like, blood. Like, someone gets stabbed against the, the wall, you know, the paper-thin whatever thing. And you hear, like, find Hanzo or something like that. So there's this dude with a sword barges in and stops uh, Hanzo's wife and, and son from leaving. And he's like, where's Hanzo? And then the little kid like puts up like defense, like he's going to protect his mom or whatever. And he just kind of chuckles at him. And then some ice starts to form on a dude's hand. So Hanzo hears his wife scream and starts running. And then he sees his like dead men laying around. And then his wife is like crouched, like holding her son. And they're like frozen. And then more mass enemies appear nearby. He starts fighting at them, like chopping and stabbing them. He grabs a uh, like a little dagger that his wife was using, like dig up roots or something like that. And he ties like a rope to it, and he's using that because you know that's what Scorpion uses. He uses it, like you know, fling, whips it around and stabs them and pulls them. Get over here and and all. He doesn't say like, that at that point, whatever. But then you know, just a, a lot of fighting, and then uh, he's yelling. He's like, "Where's Bihan? By Bihan? Bihan? Bihan?" And then uh, he, he sees uh, the dude sitting on a rock, you know, and he's like, he can't understand him because he's speaking to him in Chinese and, and Hanzo speaks Japanese. But then he throws a, the knife rope thing and it hits a tree. But then when he pulls it, it like cuts his cheek. So then they're fighting. And then uh, the ice dude, Sub-Zero, 
stabs him with his own blade, but there's still more fighting. And then uh, the ice dude gets the upper hand, stabs him in the shoulder. And it seems like, was that a killing blow? Because he just like pushes a little more and he like falls over. And then like leaves. But he's like still alive because you can hear the baby still crying. So I guess uh, Sub-Zero didn't hear the baby or whatever. So And Hanzo's still alive. And he's like trying to crawl back to the house, but he can't make it. And then suddenly his body just goes whoosh in flames and disappears. And there's just like a burn mark, like his body outlined. Lightning cracks and Raiden shows up. And he sees like the burnt mark. He picks up the blade. His, you know, his eyes are white and everything. He goes inside and finds a baby and takes it. And he's like walking. He's like holding a baby and more lightning. And then they disappear. And then Mortal Kombat. We get opening credits. So all that was before the credits. Then we're told we get some, some information. Earth Realm is on the verge of catastrophe. Should it lose one more tournament, the savage realm of Outworld will invade. But an ancient prophecy foretells that a new group of champions will be united by the rise of Hanzo Hasashi's blood. So then we see this dude, Cole, Cole Young. He's a, his hands are getting wrapped um, by Allison, his wife. Uh, you know, he's, he's about to fight, whatever. This other dude calls him. He's like, oh, Cole, a human punching bag. And Cole's like, who am I fighting? And the, the dude, he's like, fighting requires both attacking and defending. He's like, not just throwing punches. You should try it sometime. And his, his daughter's there, too. So his wife's like, oh, I'm not going to watch this, whatever. So the fight's pretty brutal. And, it's, you know, there's a bunch of people, you know, probably betting on the fights. And he's, like, fighting in a sort of like a, a cage match, like in this fence. And it's it's a he's doing pretty well and everything like that. But then the, the tables kind of turn. And then he ends up having to tap out. And then in Outworld, um, Tsang says that the prophecy is upon us. Baihan is there. And he says that he's like, what? He's like, Hanzo is a ghost. He's like, I killed him centuries ago. And then he's like, says something, whatever. But then he's like, and I'm no longer Baihan. I'm Sub-Zero. So Cole, um, he's like in the bathroom cleaning up after the fight. And he gets like a weird vision of a, like a dude in a cloak, which is his, his relative, is Hasashi. And this dude walks up to him. So he came in during the fight. So this is Jax. And he says that, He's like, you know, you could have won today if you control the cage. And his daughter's like, that's what I said. And he's like, I dig that dragon tattoo. And Emily's like, oh, no, he was born with it. It's a birthmark. And she's like, show him, Dad, or whatever. So he shows her, and it's like this, the snake in the circle thing, whatever. And he's like, ain't that something? So they go to get food, and uh, his wife shows up. And then Jax is, like, in a car, like, across the street watching. And he's, like, talking to somebody. He's like, I have eyes on him. And then what we, we notice, uh, or he says something, he's like, yeah, he has a mark. I saw it. I saw it myself. And then it starts snowing outside. And then like when uh, uh, Cole sees that, he you know tells Allison, he's like, look, it's snowing. And she's like, but it's July. And to Emily's sitting outside, you know, because they order, she orders some food before. And then the table starts icing up and like sharp ice crystals start forming. And then Sub-Zero's out in the street. And this part was kind of cool because he see it, and all of a sudden, like the snow starts like going up, and then he's like, whoosh, and it's like he starts taking out people, like ice chunks start falling, everything like that. Jax like pulls up to the front, he yells at him, he's like, get in the truck. Sub Zero like walks towards them and everything like that, and then Jax tells you know whoever's talking on the radio, he's like, I got him, and then they're driving away, and Jax mentions that he has a mark too, and he like you know lifts up his shirt and shows him. He's like, that thing is after both of us. He's like, it's not a birthmark. He's like, we we've been chosen. So and then they they turn into this alley, and somehow Sub Zero's in front of them. So like, maybe he just like teleported there somehow. 
So Jax, uh, he you know he stops. He gets out of the truck. He grabs out like this big gun from the back. He tells him, he's like, take the truck. He's like, go to Gary and Anna. He's like, find Sonya Blade and gives them an address. So Sub Zero just kind of disappears. He goes in his like warehouse building or whatever. So Jax follows him, of course, instead of just leaving. He's like, oh, so you want to play hide and seek? He goes in there. He's like looking around, and then you know all of a sudden Sub Zero's behind him. Uh, Jax tries to shoot him, but then he like freezes the gun as he's shooting, and he shatters it. They start fighting, everything like that. And I think I'm trying to remember how it has happened in the the animated movie. But then at one point, you know, he's Sub Zero's holding his fists, and then he starts freezing, and then his arm shatter, and he pushes Jax off the ledge, and he he falls a couple floors, like hits his head on the way down. It's, it's pretty br- brutal. Cole and his family arrive at some place, and, uh, you know, it's, it's like they, they, I thought they were all going to go, but I guess they didn't. He tells his wife that he has to go. It's not safe, so he's going to go find Sonia. But it's like, wouldn't they go after his family and use them as leverage or whatever? But I don't know. So then uh, we see Melina. She tells her master that Sub-Zero's killed another champion, but one escaped. So then they like send, so they're going to send Reptile after him or whatever. Cole arrives at the address, so he, um, Sonya attacks him. She's like, who are you? And he's like, Jack sent me. Then she's like, well, let me see you know, let me see the mark. And then uh, he, she sees it. She's like, Jax hasn't checked in yet. So we find out that she and Jax are special forces. They first learned about the marking seven years ago. The target had superhuman abilities. You know, They were going after someone. They tore through their unit. And then when uh, Jax took him down, the mark transferred to him. So she's like, there are realms and species that you know they didn't even know existed, and she's like, it's it's inviting, it's an invitation to fight something known as Mortal Combat, and there's like you know there's like pictures and stuff all whatever, and he's like, you made that last part up, right? He's like, and he's looking at the the, the name of whatever. He's like, they even spelt that wrong, and then there's this other dude chained up in another room, so it's Kano. Uh, so and she's like, oh, he was a mercenary with the Black Dragon Clan, and he has a marking as well. But Sonya said that she was hunting this other champion. She came across Kano just as he slit the guy's throat. He got the the marking. So Cole asks her where her marking is, and she's like, I don't have one. So then the lights go out. Reptile shows up, and so there's like fighting with with him and so forth. So basically, you know, I don't want to spoil too much. Um, this is still, I think, it's like maybe like half, not even halfway through the movie yet. But uh, Kano mentions Raiden's temple, and she's like, what, you know where that's at? He's like, yeah, whatever, and of course he finds out. But he doesn't want to help them because, you know, he's not happy with her and all this stuff like that. So she offers him $2 million, and he's like, three, make it $3 million, whatever, And because he says he has a friend with a plane, so they're going to go there. But, you know, she's uh, Cole asks her, he's like, are you really going to give him $2 million? She's like, no, I'm not going to. I don't even have $2 million. So they go there, whatever. Uh, they meet Liu Kang. From the Shaol Order of Light, and uh, Jax is there. You know he, they're tending to him. He he's gonna get his cyborg arms there, and they have to train. And you know they they talk to Raiden and stuff like that. Sub Zero shows up. There's more fighting. Uh, we see Kun Lao and other other people and so forth. So um, it it just goes from there. You know it's all about the training, but then. Uh, Obviously, the bad guys don't want to play by the rules because you know they they just want to stop them before the tournament, and you know they want to claim the you know Earth realm for for themselves before the tournament and all stuff like that. But these guys aren't quite ready to train because you know part of it is like they need to find their arcana, like their special fo- power, because like uh, Liu Kang, you know he can shoot the fireballs and stuff like that. 
So, you know, they need to figure out how to access that and get their special abilities before the fight, but it just goes from there. So, you know, it, it's a cool moment at moments. And uh, if you're a fan of the game, you know, I think I think you'd be pretty happy. Yeah, I, I played the, some of the games before, but like I said, I'm not like the biggest Mortal Kombat fan. So for me, it, it's a slick movie and it looks good. Maybe diehard fans, I don't know if they would necessarily uh, agree or disagree. You know, would have wanted more, wanted you know stuff a little be different, but it's better than I thought it would be. And I, you know, sometimes the acting gets a little like oh, okay, you know. But other than that, it's it's fine. Should you see it in the big screen? I, I, if you can see anything in a big screen, I would say, especially like you know the, the action movies, you know what special effects movies, you know if you're looking at like some regular drama, you know like The Irishman or whatever, you don't necessarily have to see it in a big screen. You know it still would be cool, you know. But I, I would say if if your theater is open and if you are feeling safe, like I still don't know if if I I wouldn't go see this in a movie myself personally because I'm not like like I said I'm not the biggest fan. And even though I'm vaccinated and all that, it's still, you know, there are still risks. And, you know, the other thing to think about in theaters, you know, people are removing their masks to eat popcorn and stuff like that. You're in this little box for, you know, a couple hours. Movies, like, I think it's like an hour and 51 minutes or something like that. So it would be cool to see it in the theater. But it's also, you know, cool to have the luxury. I'm so thankful that HBO Max is doing this. Because, you know, I, I was able to watch it while, you know, when I got to school, I started watching it in the morning before class started. And then I was watching it on my lunch break and everything. So, you know, it's 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 good to be able to watch it. I should watch the whole thing on a big screen and not like, on you know, a computer monitor. But it's worth checking out, I think, if, if you have any interest in the show. I, you know, it seems to be true to the stories, you know, from just recently watched that animated movie I mentioned. So they do a good job. It, you know, it could have it could have been a disaster. Uh, is it the best video game adaptation? Whatever. Didn't we just have something that was better? I'm trying to remember, but it it was good. Not great. Yeah, I didn't love it, but that's just because I don't necessarily love Mortal Kombat. I you know, give me a good fighting game, sure. Yeah, I'll play it. But it just the whole idea of the story about you know the fighting tournament and making a, a movie about it and i know there's a backstories with everyone so you know that's how you could do it but it's just uh it's like i i go into mortal combat just to, for the fighting mechanics and, and all that and yeah for the you know the the cinematics or whatever or to just you know what i'm saying anyways i think that's it i'm just rambling now so that is going to be the show. Big thanks to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken because they are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gmanfromheck. Any amount you can commit will be awesome. And if you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. And we're still talking about the Vision and the Scarlet Witch series from 1985. Uh, pretty soon I'll be talking about some movies again and in more comics, and so forth. But if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to uh, coffee.com slash gmanfromheck, and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or three. And that is ko-fi.com slash gmanfromheck. All right, what's going to happen next week? So next week, there is no Falcon and Winter Soldier. There is no them. We'll have the Nevers. I'll probably talk about Cruel Summer, episode three, 
as long as there's only one episode. I'll talk about the last episode of Invincible. I, I don't remember if I mentioned that. <laughs> I'll probably, probably talk about the next Bird Girl. Um, the Flash isn't back yet next week because of the Flash. I forget when the Flash is back. But I may talk about uh, Shadow and Bone. We'll see about that because that just started this past weekend. We'll, we'll see about that. I don't know. Again, I, I it it bums me out. It I don't like it when they drop all episodes at once because it's just too much. The movie feature maybe will be Tom Clancy's Without Remorse. So that's on Amazon Prime, and that's with uh, Michael B. Jordan, right? We'll probably talk about that. And um, I'm trying to think what what else there will be. I think I don't know if there's anything else starting next week. So that's probably going to be the show. So with that, I hope you are doing well. I hope you're having a great time. And I hope everything is going smoothly for you. I totally appreciate you listening. I, you know, and you're, you're awesome. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your support. But make sure you remember to always be good to each other.